Warning, the following episode of Orsini's Uncensored Mind contains explicit language and adult content. The thoughts and opinions stated on the show are reflective of A.J. Orsini and his guests exclusively. Seriously, guys, the show's called Uncensored. If you got a problem with bad language, I really don't give a shit. Uncensored mind. I'm AJ Orsini once again joined by my brother, Deceive Dave. Dave, what's up, Dave? What's up, Dave? <laughs> what's up, Dave? Uh, I don't Ooh. I don't have a voice. You don't today. It doesn't sound like you do. Why? No, because explain yourself. I was yelling last night. <laughs> oh shit, don't do that. So <clears throat> last night, uh, for those of you who were not in the building, uh your boy AJ and his men's the Blood Brothers was in the house last night. Oh. Uh, tag team action. Of course, I'm on the side doing my manager thing, screaming, hooping, and hollering, and pissing everybody off, doing the heel deal uh, last night. Uh, we went in. We came out the same exact way. The best. The best. The best. Still undefeated. Not to be topped. I don't think and I was... Going over this yesterday in the car right back. I don't think we've lost yet. I don't. No. I, uh, different promotions, different plans. You know, everybody has their own little vision for whatever. But we have. Is that how yet. you're selling them, or is that the, how they're I, buying I you guys? Did not realize it till last night that everyone who has booked us has booked us to either win, or there was one match we had a a uh, a double countout. We drawed because we fought to the back. So we haven't been beaten at all, and that's cool. half of the matches that we've had. Have been so what are you swatted. doing that's making them want you to come into their company <laughs> and go over? Look at them. <laughs> I mean, I get it, I but mean, obviously, like I would imagine, other companies, especially, you know, would would have the idea of putting their guys over. Okay, well, see, this is the thing. Okay, so very good point. They normally would. Um. I think, Especially if you have a win streak like that, and I think people, I think a lot of the reasons why we haven't been booked is because when they see us, the, the idea is you gotta, you gotta push a team like that to the top. But if they don't have a position for that, or if they already have teams, they kind of already have figured into being their top teams. Mm-hmm. There's really no sense in bringing us in because when you look at us and our presentation, we're not enhancement talent. We're we're not people that you beat to establish another team. No one's gonna be. No one's gonna believe that. 
So I, I really do feel like a lot of the times that we don't get booked is because of that exact reason. It's like, okay, I, I can book them because they're great, but what do I do with them? Right. So I, on that end, I'm really appreciative because don't call me up on the phone and then like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have these these two light heavyweights come in and smack the shit out of y'all and beat y'all in five minutes. Like that's not gonna work. Right. But yeah, when you look at these two guys that I've got here, you know, the Savage Sam and Max Mercy, there's you look at these people and you're like, yeah, there's there's no way that <laughs> this match is gonna work out the way you think. As a matter right. of fact, when we came in, the, the two young fellows that we wrestled last night, I'll go ahead and drop them because they're dope. Uh, Daniel Riley and Casey Lichen of the Throne, two young guys coming up in the ranks, still kind of wet behind the ears a little bit, but they got a lot of potential. As a matter of fact, Daniel Riley credited Sam as one of his original trainers from back in the day. Ooh, so Sam, that's always nice. Sam recognized him. I didn't. I it's always sure. nice when that happens naturally, yeah. right? When you don't realize you're doing something just to do it, you don't realize that you're doing that, and then later on, someone's like, "Yo, that guy, that guy, like, was a big supporter of me." You yeah. didn't even like realize you did that. You're like, "Oh shit, okay, yeah." He I mean, I fucked with him. I hit yeah. him once. He sure. mentioned it at the beginning, like when we first started talking to him about what was going to happen that night. It was one of the things he mentioned, and Sam goes, "Yeah, I remember. We used to do this and do this." And shout out to uh, another member of the group back in the day, Joe Bullrog. He was a part of that. He name dropped Joe. He's like, "Yeah, you and Joe used to really help me a lot." And blah blah. blah. And Sam that name sounds like, familiar to me. You've you've seen him before. If I showed you a picture, yeah, you'd be like, prob- oh, yeah. probably. He was the yeah, it sounds, guy. He was the box. It sounds guy. really familiar to me. As yeah. a matter of fact, your favorite match is Sam and Joe Bullrog. That's the one where you threw him upside down in 2KW. That mm. might have been the one when you remember him. I'll send you the match. Maybe that'll remind you. But yeah, he said all that, and then Sam looked at him. And he's like, "Yeah, man, I remember that, man. You you come a long way, man. Congratulations." You don't yeah. go bust your ass tonight, though, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't change nothing. I'm still so, yeah, putting I'm hands st- on you. I'm still going to fuck you up. And uh, nah, Now I'm going to put hands on you more, teach you yeah. a better lesson. So that's a lot of the reason, believe it or not, I lost a little bit of, a little bit of my voice. It isn't just because of my ringside stuff, but we were in a pretty loud building. So even going over this stuff in the back, like I found myself yelling a lot. <laughs> so I had pretty much been yelling consistently for like three hours. So that's how you get to where we're at here. Um, right. we, we were yelling at the guys, not in, in a negative way, just communication. It was just so loud, everything going on. We're trying to make sure everybody understands. And like I said, they were very, um, very, they're very young and very enthusiastic and they were down for a lot of shit and, and we tried to give them some shit and it was a nice atmosphere. We got this move though. Um, it's on the Instagram. If y'all guys want to check it out, all the blood brothers stuff is, uh, on social media at blood bros. B L O O D B R O S, the number six, and then Boro, B O R O. Um, we I, I put little clips and stuff like on there. So if you guys want an idea what I'm talking about, we our our primary finish. The we've given him everything we can give him, and he just refuses to stay down. So now we have to murder him. Move. Mm-hmm. It's called Blood on the Pavement, and think Doomsday Device for those of you out there, right? So the big man Sam puts the opponent on his shoulders while he stands and my man Max Mercy goes to the top rope hits him with the shining wizard knee to the face and the guy does a moonsault cell to his belly he completely backflips onto his on his stomach you have to be very trusting with a move like that so when we walked in and the dude was like yeah yeah you know maybe I could take blood on the pavement and we're like whoa whoa easy there kid that's our that's our main event spot that's not the uh that's not the everyday finish 
Right. You know, we give the casuals a different finish. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just a basic belly to back with a clothesline. You know, it looks devastating, but it's not as crazy as the other one. And I'm like, no, no, yeah. no, I really want to take the blah, blah, blah. So we're like, all right, so that's the finish, right? So we started building the match around that. I was like, that's the finish. We're going to hit, you know, this, 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 blood on the pavement, blah, blah, blah. And then, and I, I hope this is not too inside baseball, but I'll just get to the point. We started talking to him. We're going over matches. And we started sensing. We smelled it. We was like, oh, I, I smell apprehension. Hold on. Mm. They, they nervous about something. Someone's scared. Yes. Yeah, well, I don't go, go as far as scare. I don't want to punk them. But at the same time, there was some nervousness to it. So we were like, you know, as we went over everything, everything was done. The night's progressing. We're in the semi-main event, right? So not the main event. We got a world title match to take place, but we're like just before that. So the show's going. Things are happening. And Sam looks over at me. He goes, I don't know. I'm not I'm not feeling too comfortable about this finish. I said, okay. And we talked to the dude one more time. So I started talking to the dude one more time, and I finally get it out of him that apparently not too long ago, Somebody had him in the same position, electric chair, right on top of the dude's shoulders, and they leaned him forward. And what happened was they were going to drop him stomach first, and the dude was supposed to catch him in a cutter like an RKO. And right. they botched it, and they hurt his neck. So I was like, mm, there you go. There's your apprehension. So scrap. We're not doing blood on the pavement. No, 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 but it's a real dope move. Yeah, it's a dope move that we'll kill someone else with. We don't need to murder you. <laughs> we'll kill you with something else. And that something else ended up becoming uh, picking him up for the chair. He reverses out. He slides back to the rope. I hook his leg. He leans through the ropes to talk some shit to me. And I wallop this nigga in the face with a steel <laughs> chain. He backs up and catches the crossroads from Max Mercy, one, two, three. Or I say crossroads so people know what the move I'm talking about, but we call it a BSU. He calls it the Bacardi straight up. It's a straight, straight shot to the face, and he's down one, two, three. Now, we changed the finish to that, and no disrespect, but he forgot it. And as soon as he raked Sam's eyes, he just sold in the corner, and I'm like, this motherfucker. And Max Mercy grabbed him and told him what was going on, flung him into the ropes, and then I hooked him and smacked him. And blah, blah. Right. But when the match was over, everything was good. Everyone talking, he goes, yo, I'm so sorry, man. Forgot that thing at the end. I said, you know what? I'm glad... Listen, you're young, it happens. But I'm glad we changed the finish. Because if you forget a hook and a slap, you would have gotten destroyed on the other fucking move. That move is no joke. You right. got to be a professional to take that fucking move. But I'm not saying he's not a professional, but he ain't got the years for it. Right. So we're like, no, 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 no. We're going to go ahead and we're going to save that move for someone who doesn't mind getting the shit kicked out of him for real. People get nervous wrestling us who are beginning to notice this pattern. Because they see all the big moves. You know, I got big boys, so they do big moves. We got bombs. We got lifts. We did a spot where we tossed the one kid into the corner, hit him with the fucking max, hit him with the fucking splash, and he's 260, 265. So he takes one splash, and they hit him with the 500-pounder with his splash in the corner. He takes the hit, boom, he drops down. Then they grab the other nigga, and they beal him, they throw him, into a cannonball into his own partner in the corner everything was just boom 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 it's loud and it's messy and it's us and it's money but people get nervous because they think we, that we were actually murdering motherfuckers mm. when that match is over no, we've never heard a single person ever to my knowledge actually i think we've heard ourselves to your knowledge yeah 
Yeah, unless no one's bitching up about it, no. Everyone, when the match is over, we all go in the back, we all talk. I've never seen anyone hurt from any of our shit. If anything, we've hurt ourselves giving our shit to other people more times than we've hurt other people. Sam Sam's 500 pounds and can do a spinning heel kick. And I've seen him do the heel kick and hit a nigga in the chest and hurt his own leg. And not hurt the other nigga's chest. So... <laughs> Shit happens. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Shit happens. And I got a chance to use my chain again. Your and, chain? Yeah, I have a chain, like a little oh. link chain or whatever. It's right. it's a really long, if you really think about it, it's a little thicker than your average keychain, but I think that's what it was used for originally. Right. So the story behind the chain, and I would love to tell this story because apparently I told it yesterday and nobody was in on it. I realize now I haven't really been talking it up like I should be, but... It's a very special chain to me. Okay. I call it the Shane Douglas chain. And I've been wrapping it around. It's not the first time I've used it. So when I told the story yesterday, I was shocked that nobody else really been paying attention to it. But I call it the Shane Douglas chain because in 2011, so 10 years ago, mm-hmm. I did a show with FSW, with Fighting Spirit Wrestling. As a matter of fact, you and the fam were there to see it. And there was a spot in the match where Shane Douglas pulled uh, a chain out of his manager's um, jacket, his uh, suit pocket. So Shane Douglas pulled his chain out, wrapped it around his fist, went to use it. You know, long story short, it it didn't work out the way that he thought heel shit. But uh, the chain went flying. It hit the ground, blah, blah, blah. Match was over. Show was over. It was the main event. I picked up the chain to give it back to Shane. I said, here, your chain is here. You might want to hold on to that chain. And he looked at me and said, you know what? I'll get another chain. You keep it. Tell him Shane Douglas gave it to you. Right? And he walked off. Kind of like a Bret Hart football jersey type situation. He was like, (laughs) tell him Shane Douglas gave it to you. And he walked off, which was the coldest shit of all time. How badass was that? I said, okay. And I kept the chain. And the chain's been in my house for fucking 10 years. Mm-hmm. And so as the heel of OTP, when I start using the chain, I wrap it around just like he did. I wrap the chain around, blah, 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 and I wipe the nigga when the referee's not looking, and I go about my business, just like last night. So last night, they didn't know I was going to use a chain. For whatever reason, they didn't really book our match. We booked our own match. So I came up with the chain idea to use the chain. Right. So the booker came over, we started talking, da, 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 and he kind of gave me a compliment on the chain. And I told him the story about the about the chain. Now, here's the story about the booker of this particular company. The booker of this particular company is one of my best friends in the world and was in the building at the time that I got the chain. So when I told him it was Shane Douglas's chain from that first show, his eyes got big. He goes, wait, that's the same chain he used that night? I said, yep, it is the chain. I have had it for 10 years in my house. And now I've passed the legacy from the franchise to myself and whopping people in the head with this goddamn chain. There you go. And he was like, wow, that's full circle. I said, hell yeah, that's why my promos are so lit for it. (laughs) That's why my promos are so lit. Exactly. So, yeah, great night last night. Not going to lie. Last night was a whole lot of fun. I haven't had a whole lot of fun in a wrestling setting in a long fucking time. Right. So So that was dope. It was a great night. And I'm off to... 
the holiday season now. We don't currently have any bookings in December. Uh, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not interested in having any because my school is up December 10th. I got the holidays. Uh, Thanksgiving, more importantly, will be held in your end of the spectrum. We, yes. The Orsini's of this house will be joining the family with you guys in Jersey, and we're going mm -hmm. to be doing the weekend deal. That's that's the Thanksgiving plan, Ooh. and I'm bringing my equipment. So maybe, okay. knock on wood, this mm -hmm. next week could be the week. Maybe. We're in the same goddamn space talking the same goddamn shit. Uh, we could sneak away somewhere, yeah, maybe. We we'll see. We'll see later in the we'll, week. We will see because I'm going to be there Wednesday night. And oh I'm damn! Not, I'm not planning and leaving until around Sunday. So if we don't do it while I'm there, I don't really know when we're gonna get a chance to that's do it. That's true. Very true. So that's gonna be the situation there. So we we've got this episode here this week. We got the next episode next week, which would be not live on the air, but we will be live in person <laughs> finally yeah. for the first time, which is gonna be cool. So that would be dope. Um, uh, that's the Thanksgiving side of things. That is uh, December 10th is the end of my school thing. So really quick before we get into today's topics, uh, which again, revolve around my career. And we've got a big pay-per-view on Sunday for Survivor Series. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Normally, I do roundtables for this shit. But as I've just discussed, uh, busy, 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 busy. So um, not going to happen. Um what was the other thing? Oh, yes. So, the show, the podcast itself. Mm -hmm. I think now is about as good a time as ever to start letting people know. And I've mentioned this a little bit to you. I haven't really gone into detail because there really isn't much detail to give at the moment. But uh, I have began the process because I've been really busy with the show. And <laughs> you having you on the show for the last year has been amazing because the the t the the tempo and everything of this show has been completely different since you've been on. You know, mm -hmm. it's a different show when it's a conversation than when it's just me on the show rambling like I used to do. Right. And we've gotten different responses from people from it, so it's 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 been a really nice. Dynamic. I wish I could see that. I'd love to engage with people actually watching the stuff. Yeah, I could start sharing shit with you. I guess because the because a lot of the stuff that I get, I look and then I don't. Like, where it. are you getting it from? From I the get, group? I get private messages. Different? I get oh, okay. some of it's from the group. I get text messages from people who are, who are uh, fortunate enough to have my actual phone number. From people who you know don't do too too much social media, but they saw it or they heard it or whatever, and they'll be like, "Hey, man, good shit." I've sent you a few sometimes, like when Pombo says stuff or whatever the case. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. the tempo of the show is different. It's a different vibe, and we've been doing a, a great job of trying to, you know, keep that dynamic going on a creative level. But in January, my idea in my head, let's see if it actually works out because it's already the twenty first of November, but. I'm hoping with January to get started with a whole new kind of rebrand as far as marketing and look. Yeah. So I've done this once before. That's when I came up with the comic book picture and all that other stuff and changed logos and got on different platforms. And there was a whole – I did this once before, like about a year or so ago. Right. So I figured now is as good a time as any since I'm going to have a lot more time on my hands to really push on that and change the way certain things look. Um I don't even know if you know this, but the show has a, a WordPress, and I haven't touched it in like two years. It still gets likes, it still gets follows, 
because I guess people are keeping track of the show, but I haven't done anything with it. The YouTube channel, haven't done anything with it recently. I mean, I've added a few things to it. Um, I've done some throwback stuff for the Facebook, but again, I'm not paying attention the way that I want to to a lot of the stuff that we have out there. And I feel like the show has gotten so much better, but we haven't really gotten ourselves out there as much as I used to. When the show was kind of okay, I pushed it hard. Now I feel like the show is better now than it's ever been, and I'm not pushing it as hard. So I'm trying to reverse that. So in January, I'm trying to get new designs, new looks, especially stuff for the store, which I haven't been pushing hard enough either, which, by the way, AJOUM.com. Not pro wrestling tees. I'm not pushing that fucker anymore. I don't give a fuck. If you happen to be on pro wrestling tees and you stumble across our shit, fine, cool. But my shit and Dave's shit, because I got some stuff for Dave on there as well, where you can support the show and you can support either myself or Deceive Dave, you can do that by going to AJOUM.com. It's a very simple five letters in a dot com really easy to get to a lot of cool shit on there i just recently did a store for the blood brothers where i was able to play with more shit with them and i liked a lot of the stuff i did there so i'll be including that with my shit now moving forward so it's a lot of things to play with so after i mean stick with us obviously don't leave us until january but i'm just saying in january there's going to be a lot of things that look different there's going to be a lot of things that are going to feel different um I'm not going to go so far as, well, maybe, maybe some new music. I don't know. We're playing with different ideas. So I, I just want to, I want a different vibe for 2022 and I want to push this differently. So I okay. have a feeling I'm going to be digging into my pocket as well to try to do actual advertising for the show. Right. Um, I've played with a few different ideas, even something as serious as like radio ads. And I, like I've played with a lot of different ideas. Like I, I'm not joking when I say that. If I'm still doing this, then it's got to be for a reason. So I really right. want to, I really want to push it and follow the passion and see where it goes. Um, five years of doing it, and I haven't lost, you know, the core audience that I've had this whole time. But you I just got to build on it, man. Got to build on it because I did have fringe fans before, and I may have lost them over time. So I want to expand on that. And like, the, like you said before, the last time on the show, you know, I, I gotta not worry about the people who are here. No disrespect, but I got to worry about the people that aren't here yet moving forward. Yep. So we'll see how that works. So I'm just putting that out there for people and uh, letting them know uh, how that's going to go. So having said that, I will get off of me for a second. And we're going to go ahead and start talking about this upcoming humongoid pay-per-view that seemingly no one gives a shit about. Which is probably another reason why it's probably good that I'm not doing a roundtable for this, because... Define no one gives a shit about. I'm not really feeling a whole lot of buzz over this show. At all, really. And it's kind of weird, because... Is it because of all the things that are going on currently? In wrestling? Yes. Are you referring to the releases? Yes. I'm not going to rule it out and say that it doesn't play a role in it, but I don't, I really, if those people were not released, I still don't know if people would be on board with this. I really feel it has more to do with AEW's current push than the releases. The releases, I'm going to be honest with you, because we didn't get a chance to talk about this when the first round happened, because we, we had skipped that week. These releases are fucking meaningless. I hope people understand that. 
They're fucking meaningless. They have, they have, or they had, because after 2021, that's not a that's not a problem that exists anymore. They had close to 300 people on this fucking roster for a long time. I'm gonna be honest with you, and I'm gonna sound like a dick saying this. There was a lot of people getting charity checks. Shouldn't have been on this fucking roster. No, I know. We I think a lot of people know that they looking know. at those releases. But you, you have one or two at the top that you kind of scratch your head a little yeah. bit. I mean, and you, then the, and then on top of that, those very same people are reacting. Yeah, well, they're gonna react. I, I understand mean, that, no but they're they're fired, they're they're, but... Re, they're reacting to it, and that's what mm-hmm. I think is. That's what's riling the people up. To be but honest, but that's what they're supposed to do. But yeah. but at the same time. I just assume that's why people are, are less focused on, you know what I mean? Yeah. What's going on the pay per view, or and and more focused on these releases because that's all I keep seeing on my feed. Release this, release that, yeah. release this. People reacting to releases, and it's just like, first of all, there's like two names or th- maybe three names on that list that might come off as shocking. Past that, it's just like, who are the other people? Yeah. So. I don't know. That's why I was just curious about and, if that's and, what the no, was about. I think that it. I think that. Uh, I, like, like I said, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to rule it out and say that it plays no role. I just think the other company has more momentum, and I and I and I just I just feel that way because these these releases. Listen, and the people will say, uh, "How would you? How can you possibly release these people before the holidays? You need to chill." All of these people are fucking adults. And no one, I think, think Taya Valkyrie or Frankie Monet, as she was known in NXT, John Morrison's wife, who recently was part of the release, whatever, whatever. So was he. When she got, oh, that's what I was getting to. When she got released, she played it pretty cool. She was just like, you know, thanks for the opportunity, blah, blah, because she wouldn't hear very long. Right. You know? And she was just being thankful for the situation, blah, blah, you know, blah, blah, blah. She approaches really, the way you should. Yeah, the way you should. You know, don't burn any bridges. You never know if you might come back. Never I know. Mean, you don't know why they're letting you go. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it may not even have anything to do with you. It could be first one in, first one out type of deal. You have no clue. Yeah. And she she did a really nice job. And then they fired Morrison. And then she went on social media and was just like, fuck everything about this goddamn company. <laughs> fuck everybody. Sweet. Everybody up, could suck a bag of dicks. Stand up for her man, dude. Oh, stand my God. Stand up for her man. That's in a span it, of, dude. In a span of two weeks, we lost all our income before the holidays. Time the fuck out. Please don't make it seem like we're supposed yeah. to feel like you, John Stop acting Morrison like you're broke. You're not broke. People. Right. It's fucking all of a sudden you're on the street now. Relax. Just relax, okay. All right, secondly, I was I was with you. Relax. Secondly, why are what is it with all this piss and vinegar for John? Why weren't you this fucking man when they fucking cut you? I am actually, believe it or not, I was actually more Dude, shocked making the money at the yeah, moment. I, well, yeah, but the, the comparison between the two contracts must have been completely different. But I was actually stunned they cut yeah, her. Johnny drip drip. Yeah, yeah. I was actually, <laughs> I was actually more. Uh, Concerned, not concerned. I was more surprised they had cut her than when they cut John. I can see why they cut John, but the women's division is not that deep. She's not that terrible. I'm like, I don't know. That's a pretty deep cut. She's pretty talented. I don't know. John John's in a bad position because without the tag team with the Miz, I mean, where do you put John Morrison? They they're right back in the position they were when they released him the first time. So I can kind of see. 
you know, I can kind of see that decision. But Frankie Monet, I was like, oh, I don't know. They might need her <laughs> at some point. But, yeah, these, these right. releases are – listen, companies do this all the time. And people will sit here and say, well, they don't need to cut anybody because they just had one of the most successful fiscal years of of their of their entire business history. Right. And you know all how you do reason it. to cut people. Yeah. You know how you do it again the next year? You drop all the goddamn dead weight. They're not using you look at the people. Well, that's the thing. You look at that successful year, you see where it's coming from, and you start cutting the loose ends. Yeah. I had someone on my social media tell me, well, you know, if they use their talent better, then they wouldn't need to cut. That's not a. It, they can't push everybody. You can't have three hundred WWE champions. They, it's impossible. It's not about using people correctly. Now, are, if you ask me, are they using their talent to the best of their capability? Obviously not. But even if they did, it's too many fucking people. The WWE does not need this many people. And since they are aware now of what AEW truly is. Which is which is to what what AEW is to them is a company basically playing pretend. They're a pro wrestling company, and as WWE has illustrated over the years, being a pro wrestling company on a national level doesn't work. They don't think that AEW has the structure to be a real player against the WWE, regardless of the talent they get. So true, they have I no understand problem. that. That's why they have no problem letting people. I'm go still on that side of the fence right yeah. now, yeah. personally. On a creative level, you can make your arguments. On a business level, AEW does not scratch the WWE. No, no, no. Especially, we've talked about it here. A lot of the business decisions that they're making, I've defended them. Yeah. Even though I'm on that side, where where's your longevity at? But I, right, I, they're not making an intellectual business decisions that. Uh, true businessmen would look at and go, dude, there's there's no longevity in this. You're going to sink. You got to understand these guys look at a piece of paper and they look at your future for the next 10, 15 years. So if you're doing shit today, that's going to fuck that up. I don't yeah, know. So point? maybe that's the way they're looking at him. It's like, dude, you're hyped now, but we've seen this before. We're not worried about oh, it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They were told 10 years ago, 12, 15 years ago. No. Oh, you know what? TNA's Even better. Over. I'm going to make these cuts. Right, I'm gonna make these cuts. I'm gonna profit more this year to the future. They're gonna go over there and get hot, and when they leave and come back to me, they'll bring me more fans. That could be their strategy too. They could be releasing, but like, yo, they're hot right now. Let's release these guys. Let them pay them. Let them get them hot, and then they they're gonna come back. So we're not really fucking worried about it. Let them go. Let them get hot and come back, and then we'll reap the benefit for it and profit even more when we get them back. Absolutely, 100%. Why not? Even Chris Jericho has gone on record saying that he still has a relationship with Vince. If he wanted to, he can be in the WWE right now, and I believe him. I believe him a 1,000%. He probably could. 100%. So why keep these people? They're not going to hire all of them. They're not. I don't see AEW picking up Jackson Riker. It's not going to happen. Right. You know, so now, I mean, to bring it back to the Survivor Series, the people who are, look at all the releases that have happened in 2021, right? People have been making a big deal. What is it, like 70 people overall throughout the year of people that they've cut? Look at the Survivor Series card. It doesn't look like the roster was even touched, to be honest with you. Because the people that are on this fucking card are on the same, are on the card every fucking time. Right. There's no real new names on top. Or being used and figured in a high-profile 
situation. So what are they really cutting? Look at this fucking set. And this is a Survivor Series card. So there's people on this card who wouldn't probably normally be on TV like this. Right. Because we've got the elimination matches. We've got championship matches. Actually, I only have six matches in front of me, which is tremendous. And yet somehow they're still going to find a way to make this a five-hour goddamn show. Yeah, they will. Jesus Christ. Let's go ahead and get into this because, I mean, this goes more into the point of what we're trying to say here. Starting off with the five-on-five men's Survivor Series elimination match. Ugh. Okay. Team Raw, Seth Rollins, Finn Balor, Kevin Owens, Bobby Lashley, and Austin Theory, which for the record is a boss-ass fucking team. I like that team. Going against Team SmackDown with Drew McIntyre, Jeff Hardy, King Woods, Happy Corbin, and TBA. Oh, we're running with this King thing, yeah? Yeah, running with the the King thing, and I'm uh, I'm also through with the TBA. They do this every fucking year. There's always one match that has the, whoa, well, we're going to surprise them with this one. You you really can't afford surprises at this point. For the kids, I, I identify those things for the kids, and I try not to let it trigger me. I'm with you. Like, the, come on, it's dude, stop be, fucking doing it's this. Gonna it's going to be the gobbledygooker. But it's for the kids. Like, uh, it's for, it's the, for the, the 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 surprise factor is for the young ones. Yeah. So it's okay. Is it's all right. Who, this is, is that who this, it's for? The young? <laughs> that's exact, And it works for them, and it's great. It's fine. For I'm the not, young viewers? Yeah. It's not for <sighs> people like you and I. Yeah. So, because for me, it's a waste. Like, yeah, for me personally, in my position, I someone comes out more than likely, I'm like, who is this person? A lot of the time. A lot of the time. And then uh, most of the time for you, more than you're like, ah, you know, I I knew it was a matter of when they were coming. I just didn't know. Like, okay, cool. Like, I knew this person was coming. Surprise pick. It's going to be Braun <clears throat> Breaker. Rex Steiner. Oh, dude. I'd lose teams. it. That guy's fucking awesome. If there's a guy that I'm hyped for nowadays, it's him. He's he's so good. He's like the he's like the only guy on that show. Dude, he is so good. They should just call the show his name, not even NXT anymore. Oh my god. That dude is great. He's gonna be good. Catch us every Tuesday night for WWE Braun Breaker special. You know when you know when like in high school where you got the one high school superstar that just stands out like a sore thumb? I think more so in like basketball, right? Like the LeBron James in high school. Yeah, that's what it feels like. It's like, dude, you're you're here for maybe a few months and they're going to call you up, dude. I'm just going to, I'm just going to relish the moment of you being here so that when you become as big as we know you're going to be, I could be like, yo, back in the day, I worked with that guy, even though I was just in the locker room. I never really wrestled with it, but still I'm going to take that credit because <laughs> he does not belong where he's at right now. I'm just saying, you know, and the thing about Braun though, is that they're calling him Braun breaker. They're not using the Rex Steiner thing. But specifically, though, right? Like, he yeah. doesn't want that. I, well, I haven't heard that he doesn't. I just assumed that because why else would they not? Well, I, I assume it because I've heard things like, just don't call me Steiner. I think it was like a title of something, a video of his or something like that. All right. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I think it's something he's trying to stay away from, which is cool. I mean, obviously, you can't stay with people. No. Well, they're not doing a very good job of staying away from it, which is my point. Because the well, commentators, commentary. That's a whole yeah, other... the commentary make jokes. And then Tommaso did the, well, not did the entire, but he did the the math promo. He he referenced the math promo to Ron Breaker, which broke him in the ring. It was hilarious. And the whole audience laughed about it. But the math promo from Scott Steiner, 
You know, you've, you've only really got 33 and a third percent chance of defeating me for the NXT. Did you ever hear the Scott Steiner map promo? No, probably not. Oh, my God. Hold on a second. Okay, I'm going to play it right now. Hold on. You got to hear. This was the Scott Steiner promo in TNA. When he That's was why I probably didn't hear yeah, it. Yeah, he, he was trying to explain to the audience why Samoa Joe will not be defeating him. Mm-hmm. And he broke it down mathematically. Right. This is the promo right here. I got it. Scott Steiner, it's going to be a three-way for the TNA heavyweight title at Sacrifice between you, Kurt Angle, and Samoa Joe. Now, before you get there, you have an important step tonight as you and X Division <laughs> champion Petey Williams take on the unlikely duo of Kurt Angle and Samoa Joe. You know, they say all men are created equal, oh, but you look at me and you look at Small Joe, and you can see that statement is not true. See, normally if you go one-on-one with another wrestler, you got a 50-50 chance of winning. But I'm a genetic freak, and I'm not normal. So you got a 25% at best at beating me. And then you add Kurt Angle to the mix, your chances of winning drastically go down. See, the three-way at sacrifice, you got a 33 and a third chance of winning. But I, I got a 66 and two-thirds chance of winning because Kurt Angle knows he can't beat me and he's not even going to try. So Samoa Joe, you take your 33 and a third chance minus my 25% chance and you got an eight and a third chance of winning at sacrifice. What? But then you take my 75% chance of winning if we used to go one-on-one -on -one, and then add 66 and two-thirds percents. I got 141 and two-thirds chance of winning at sacrifice. See, Joe, the numbers don't lie, and they spell disaster for you at sacrifice. See, but I'm going to break it down for all you ladies. Would you rather be with me, or would you rather be with Joe? Well, I think Joe's kind of nice. I mean, you know. See, you're one of those girls that like romance. I'm going to talk to all my freaks out there. Would you rather come <laughs> home to me, a genetic freak, to be satisfied every night, or go home to that fat-ass small Joe? See, tonight, we're going to win, and I'm going to be the world champion at sacrifice. Come on, P. Let's go. Scotty, just like you always say, Big Papa Pump has got your hookup. Well, Maple Leaf Muscle is who you need to look up. Holler if you hear that. Go ahead, Petey. You're one of those girls who like romance. Talk to all my freaks out there. You want to get your shit pushed in? Then oh you want to be with me. First of all, his math. His <laughs> that math, math fucked me up, dude. And I'm Asian. <laughs> my <laughs> shit was this this dude said it's gonna go down and then gave him like fucking 13%, bro. My shit was blown. He's, he started off at 33 to third percent and then somehow wound up over a hundred percent when he's when his math was over, he was in the triple digits. And we were like, What happened? <laughs> so that's that's the promo that Tommaso Ciampa was referencing when he had said that Braun Breaker only had a 33rd and a third percent chance of 33 taking. and a third. So they're doing all the references. They're, 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 do, they're dancing around here. But right. not, they, they are uh, doing them. He's not, though. He's not, though. You're right. He's he not. stays away from them. I, he I guess he allows them. everyone else although, to do it. Although, I can't even say that because he the, uh, the Chucky thing. So, what was it? Halloween? Oh, Halloween? yeah, yeah. I saw that. Yeah, I saw he, that, too. He did the deal with Chucky, which is the deal that his dad did. In maybe maybe so. he does it. Maybe he does do the, the homages. How about that? 
He's an homage guy. He pays tribute but, to his dad. Yeah, dad. but he's not really. He's not focused on that shit though. Yeah, I don't think be, so. Personally, he wants to go beyond being a stunner. <clears throat> guess you yeah. could say. Uh, that dude's a freak, man. He's he's amazing. So yeah, so Team Raw, Team SmackDown. I'm looking at this roster here as far as the two, the five on five. Raw to me has the far. It's not even close. Far superior fucking team. And yet, I really feel like the SmackDown team is going to walk away with this. <clears throat> really? Because I th- last year, here's why I think SmackDown is going to walk away with this. It is so stupid to even have to rationalize it like this, but I could see it happening. Last year, so Roman Reigns was, was the universal <clears throat> champion, by okay. the way. So yeah. we're all clear. He's still... The Universal Champion, 440-something days. Okay. And Roman defeated Drew McIntyre in his champion versus champion match last year. But when he came out on SmackDown the, ne- the next week or whatever, he was unhappy because Team SmackDown had lost their match. So he was doling out punishments to everybody for losing their SmackDown tag team match. So I'm thinking... That if these people want to avoid a, a pow-pow from daddy, they better pull off the win here. Right. And I don't know if that's going to be part of the story because the Usos have their own thing going on, but it could play in. We'll see. Team Raw, to me, just has a far superior team. Uh, let me see. I'm looking at this, too. So a heel, face. If that's face, the case, now that I'm looking at it and you say that, yes, if that's the case, then I I, I agree with I you. I can't see any of these SmackDown. I mean, Drew's pretty good. Jeff's a non-fucking factor. The fact that Jeff's on this team is almost insulting. So what are you doing? Why? Why? What have you done to be on this team? King Woods, he's doing something. Happy fucking Corbin. Oh, my fucking God. Him and that other dude. They didn't even put Mad Cat Moss in the match. It says with him. He's just going to uh, accompany this dude to the ring. So I don't fuck it. Man, if they would have put Matt Cop-Mass in this, what a crappy – this is just bad. Such good talent. And just – ugh. Any, any predictions on who – are you saying Team SmackDown as well? Uh, I hate these multi-man matches, yeah, I but, yeah, I, I mean – Raw just seems sure. so good to me they have to <laughs> – like, Raw seems sure. such like such a good team. They almost have to beat them because that's just what WWE does. But see, but that's a and this is the difference between AEW and WWE. Yeah, sure, that makes sense. But you don't know. They're so fucking random, dude. <laughs> they're so they're so fucking random. There's really no way to tell how this comes out. I, I would imagine Team SmackDown, but you don't fucking know, dude. It's just so I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know. Like, none of this makes sense to me. It's just a bunch of different people in a match. Yeah, I was just... There's no story behind it. This is... And that's the thing I like about wrestling is, like, the story. That's what really reels me in in matches. Even if I'm not a huge fan of, um, like, specific wrestlers, if the promos are good, if the storytelling is is at least relatively decent, then I'm in... I'm going to buy into the match. Uh, but things like this are just random. It just makes no sense to me. So if you're a fan of this stuff, it'll be great for me. It'll just be like, oh, okay. Let's see if someone kills themselves at that point. Yeah, you another, know what I mean? Like, that's where the entertainment for me is going to come from. Another multi-man match. Yeah, exactly. That was what used to make Survivor Series special because you never saw multi-man matches. 
uh, now it's and I was gonna raise the question. It's just, but I was gonna say the question, but then I realized it was Survivor Series. So I mean, that's kind of the gimmick to it. But it was until every night. Became now it's just Survivor like, what's Series? the deal? Like, is it a? Do you think it's more of a business thing that they that they do that constantly, or like, why why do you think that they do these multi man matches across wrestling so much? It's just to get more views on some of the wrestlers. To gauge them, because I don't really think you're going to get much out of multi-man matches, but maybe statistically they do. I don't. I don't know. I don't see the spread. The only sheet, thing so. you really get from multi-man matches is exposure for people who wouldn't normally be on TV, or normally wouldn't. Like for instance, first of all, the indie companies do ten-man tags for a very similar reason. It's it's bloated. They they do they do ten-man tags, uh, battle royals. Uh, six way to get more of their talent out to there, get I more of imagine. the talent out there. The problem right. is, is that they're getting most of the time it's to get their friends on, right? It's just I just I I, I have him and I want to do something with him. So here we go. WWE is in a very similar position. They have so many guys. They're just like, all right, well, I got to find a way to get them on, and here it is. They, they would they're probably thinking to themselves, look, we did only the six matches. That's that's quality control, right? But no, because you have the same amount of people on the card that you would normally have. You just condense them into six. Right. The 10-man the, the tags are going to take a minute. They always do. They, I mean, you're talking 20, 25 minutes each. Tops. Could be longer, depending on the story they go with it. Right. But, yeah, if this is just a reason to get certain guys out there. Jeff Hardy's in this match. That's a reach. You don't do anything with Jeff Hardy. You threw him mm. in this match for what? Why is he in this match again? No, again, that's what I'm saying. No like, there's a story to it. Reason. I don't know. If there is, I missed it because I've been skimming through the show and I don't see a re I don't know. I think Jeff won a qualifier to get in. But why was he even eligible for a qual I don't understand. Right. You've treated Jeff Hardy like garbage. You gave him his song back. How nice of you. But <laughs> but that was it. I mean, you got a former world champion, uh, a guaranteed first ballot Hall of Famer in Jeff Hardy, who right. apparently can still bump his ass off. I don't even know how that's possible. If you would have told me in 1999 that Jeff would be bumping in 2021, that he'd be the last one besides from, you know, from that group. I mean, Edge is doing his thing, but Edge is not a full-time guy. Christian's a full-time guy, but he's not wrestling all, every week. Matt Hardy doesn't wrestle every week. He's managing for the most part. Out of the group, I would consider Jeff Hardy to be the full-time guy. Yeah, uh, he's the only real full-time guy of the six, and he's the one still taking bumps. I'm shocked by all that. But here we are, and they're not even rewarding him for it. Right. Jeff has the ability, even to this day, to get every motherfucker on this roster over. They have no interest in doing that. So... What do, I, what do I care? What should any of you care if they don't care? If they don't care about the guys they have, why should you care? Right. That's why I don't get mad when fans start going, well, why are they treating them like this? You're absolutely right. I don't know. And because of that, I can't root for this. I can't root for him. This is coming from me. I can't root for Jeff Hardy in this situation. God damn, right. what am I supposed to do with that? Same thing on the next run here. Five-on-five five women's Survivor Series elimination match. Team Raw, Bianca Belair, Rhea Ripley, Liv Morgan, Carmella, and Queen Zelina against Team SmackDown, which is Sasha Banks, 
Shayna Baszler, Shotzi, Natalia, and Tony Storm. <laughs> and I can tell you right now, this is going to be a, a fucking a bumblefuck because the teammates are currently in feuds. Sh- Sasha is on the verge of somehow, I don't know how they're going to pull this off, but somehow baby-facing Sasha Banks to go against Shotzi. Shayna <laughs> just beat the shit out of Nia Jax to the point where they released the bitch. <laughs> and Natalia is Natalia. I mean, what do I have to say to let you know that this is a bad position for Natalia? It's just Natalia. And then Tony Storm, who came in with a ton of buzz, right, was considered the future. This is it. This is where your division's head is, Tony Storm. And they have beaten her into powder. And even made her a first-round knockout in the fucking King of the Ring tournament. And a last-minute addition to the women's team. So, right. afterthought. She's the Jeff Hardy of this team. She's an afterthought. Take it to Raw. Bianca Belair was in line for the Becky Lynch deal. They're moving on from that, I guess. Rhea Ripley, who is the complete package, will now be playing Scotty Pippen on this team to the Bianca Blair project. Liv Morgan breeds air. That's all I can say about Liv. Carmella, ditto, copy and paste. And Queen Zelina's going to be doing some stuff. They're really pushing that Liv Morgan, huh? They love love them some Liv Morgan, man. And I would love to be CC'd on the emails as to what's being discussed because I don't see it. (laughs) Of the three in Riot Squad, she was unequivocally the worst. And that's not saying she was bad. She was just the third on a three-woman team. And not only have they pushed her harder than they pushed the other ones, they released the other ones. They see they saw nothing in the other two. Not only did they release the other ones, but they're pushing this one. Yeah, so they're pushing hard. her even harder. Harder! Now, now without the group in the way, there's no reason we can't elevate this chick to the moon, baby. The I, moon, don't, I don't baby. get it. I don't understand. Carmella, I get. I get why they like Carmella. There is an element of Carmella that just screams hot. I get it. Really? Yeah. Does it? Yeah. I don't get it. I, I mean, taster's choice. And that's fine. That's taster's fine. Taster's choice. Yep. But, I mean, fine. I get it with her. I don't get that with Liv. Because Liv, Liv to me is one of those girls, and we all know one, lives one of those girls that is absolutely, to a degree, like very attractive in her own way, but she doesn't believe it. She's one of those, where it's like she's really attractive, she's really cute, really cool personality, but she has the self-esteem issue, so she's always trying to be something else. There is nothing about her that screams grunge or rock or emo or whatever the fuck it is she's doing nothing about her when they tried to make her hot and they were like here look we're gonna push you as like a little sex pot you know just a very sexy woman which is what you know a lot of people consider her you know like you have the look you got the blonde the the eyes the body everything okay just we just want you to be sexy she has no fucking clue how to be sexy she's not one of those carmella gets that Oh, yeah, she's the hottest bitch on the planet, and she knows it. That's that's what they were looking for with Liv. That's not what Liv is. And so it's Liv's confusing for them because she looks a certain way, but she doesn't act the way that she looks. 
so they don't have a clue what to fucking do with her. They just know they really, really, really fucking like her. And athletically, I don't get it. Creatively, I don't get it. Uh, but they just, they're fucking in love with this chick, and she's on the team. Chances are she'll be one of the survivors, too. I actually see Raw winning this one. Just because I think they're still committed to the Rhea Ripley Bianca end of things, mm. and I feel like Sasha and Shotzi are not going to cooperate, and that's going to cost the team an elimination, maybe two, maybe a double count out for the two of them because they fought off or whatever. The fuck. <clears throat> at least you could make it make sense. They can always make things make sense. They no, just I opt didn't. I don't. Not to. They opt <laughs> not to. They opt not to. They are of the opinion now at this point. Who gives a shit? Who's watching? Yeah. <laughs> Who's keeping track of this? I yourself? heard that. Not no disrespect to the people that you know were at the show last night, but I, this was my first time at this company, and I bitched about it. And I was like, they had a, there was a heel stable that had five people in it, and two of them were baby faces. The show opened up with a submission win. There was just a lot of booking things that I was like, what is happening? And eventually, right. I had to chill because I was voicing it every five minutes, and it was getting loud because I was getting pissed. <laughs> and I was like, "This, what the fuck is happening here? So many things going on that are backwards and dumb, and the ring announcer sounded like an idiot, and, and he's not an idiot, but he sounded like one, which means he has a good... He is put in a position where he has a good voice, and they told him, here, you should be a ring announcer, but they never told him how. And he's just up there doing what he thinks is what he's supposed to be doing. It's the same thing with the commentary team at this at this show. They sound like good dudes, and they had good voices, and you would hear them, and you'd say, "Yeah, they'd be dope on commentary," but they never told them how, so they know they don't know how. Right. So it doesn't sound right. It's the same thing here in the WWE. They can, they can do it. They can make this shit coherent if they fucking wanted it to. If the people in charge looked at the writers and said, look, we need a little bit more fluidity in what we're doing. We need to make things a little bit more clear. Let's let's plan. That's what WWE used to do. They used to have their WrestleMania main event set up by the Where do you think the summer. disconnect is? Because obviously you're not the first person to say that. No, I'm not. And I'm I not know they down, hear yeah. people say that. I know they have people in a position currently with this day and age, mm -hmm. who are deliberately their job is social media. I yeah. know that's the fact. Yes, absolutely. I don't even if your title is not social media coordinator, leader, expertise extraordinaire, there is somebody on that roster whose responsibility is to keep an eye on social media. Mm -hmm. Yes, very much true. So they're not they're not confused at this. This is not something they're lost on. Right. So in your professional opinion, in your brain, why would they Ignore that stuff. Ignore social media, especially, especially when it, the the curtain's been pulled back, and we know they're hiring people who have no fucking clue who these wrestlers are. Yeah. So, if anything, the influence of people talking on social media, saying their opinions, like, "Hey, why the bookings look like this? This, that, and third, that this information would be brought back and say, hey." There might be a little bit of a disconnect here. What can we do? So what what is what do you think business wise why they don't even attempt to to rectify some of those issues that people complain about? Short version, 
and I'll explain it a little further, but short version is because they don't they don't have to anymore. Uh, years ago, before long before the days of Sigourney Weaver, long time ago, the WWE when Vince bought the WWF from his father, and I use the word bought in quotations, and that's a conversation for another day. But when he got the company from his father, the fact of the matter is, he was born into the wrestling business. He lived the wrestling business, but the minute he bought the company from his father, the first thing he wanted to do was get out of the wrestling business. Vince McMahon's never been a fan of the wrestling business, ever. Ever. There's never been a time where he's been a fan of the wrestling business. And I mean in the way, in the sense that the business was prior to him owning the WWF. He never wanted to be a part of the wrestling business, that wrestling stuff. Vince always saw the opportunity to turn wrestling into something different. And that's where we get sports entertainment from. He's always wanted to be an entertainment business. Always. That's always been the idea. You talk to any wrestling promoter that existed when he was transitioning the WWF into the WWF, and they will tell you that is exactly what he was doing. He was trying to get... He was making gimmicks. He was making stories. He was... Uh, filming his taping a certain way. He had different people doing all these different... Unlike a lot of the stuff that wrestling did at the time. He was attempting to change the game even then. He was the one... We we tell these stories as wrestling fans now as a given, but we overlook the severity of what we're actually talking about. When people say, well, Vince, Vince began the process very early on to become a national product, which is not what wrestling was. It was regional, everywhere. He chose to go national. And the reason why he went national is because his form of entertainment would not have worked regionally. It wouldn't have been able to circumvent it financially. He needed a wider audience because that's what entertainment business is. You're always supposed to be expanding out, Mm -hmm. which is what we'll be doing in January. But but that's what he always wanted to do. I saw what you did there, dude. I'm not going to let it slide. Uh, (laughs) I'm I'm going to fuck that one up. That was good. (laughs) I'm not going to let shit happen naturally (laughs) on this show. Uh, but yeah, he's always wanted to do this. This is not old senile Vince. This is Vince finally getting his way. Right. And people, people have been conditioned to believe that Vince is just that he's slipping, that he's losing it. And I don't think Vince has ever been more on target with what he's wanted to do. Up until this point, what he's wanted to do has always seemingly aligned with what people wanted to a degree. But so yeah, who is this for? This is for him. This it. No, this no, 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 no. Who is his? Everything you just described. Right. He wants the water all over stuff like the decisions that he's making. Who's the target audience? Because based on what you said, it's not us. No, it's him. It's him. It's an entertainment company. Producers, directors, writers for movie companies, they make the product they want to make. That's why there's 18 different variations of Batman. Isn't that the way it's supposed to be, though? For entertainment purposes, sure. But for wrestling, traditionally, the way that it was run before, no. That's not the way that it was ran before. And I think and you're explaining to me where this disconnect is because it's making sense now. Yeah, the disconnect is is that Vince always saw himself as as a promoter of entertainment, not of wrestling. In the wrestling business... It was a lot of fan service. It was putting wrestlers in the situation that fans wanted them to be in. If it was a babyface, 
the good guy. They wanted to always tell the story of the good guy either being the hometown guy or who's got good morals. Or he always stands up for the people or the bad guy who couldn't care less. He was very disrespectful, very rude. It was all traditional shit. Vince blurred all of those lines because as we do in movies and, and we do in stage play and everything, heel and babyface, good and evil, sometimes blur. And wrestling never did it that way because you make more money with clear and dissective characters and character development vince didn't do it that way he did right. in the beginning that's okay. where the hulkamania stuff comes from okay. but as the attitude came in when steve I, I'll, I'll scream it until i die steve ruined the game he ruined Explain. it steve austin ruined the game you can never ever do a white meat baby face again due to stone cold steve austin he was such a badass anti-hero in an era where the anti-hero was worshipped. That late 90s era of wrestling where, and it wasn't just Steve. When Steve did it, everybody became it. The Rock, Hogan to a degree, Macho, who had always kind of been that way, but now it was, I mean, really prevalent. Everybody wanted and needed to be a badass, whether right. you were a heel or a face. You, If you cheered a guy like Stone Cold Steve Austin, who did nothing but disrespect his co-workers, disrespect his boss, middle fingers and cursing and swearing on national television, you see a guy like that. And now you can understand why they will they never took to John Cena. Because after Steve, they tried to go back to the Hogan formula, and it didn't work. Not to the degree in which wrestling fans thought. Was John Cena fantastic for business? Abso-fucking-lutely. Yeah, 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 you yeah can for sure. give for John sure. Cena all the credit in the world for helping the WWE transition into the internet age. He's the LeBron of WWE in that sense. He, he <clears throat> helped them transition into a more digital age. Right, that all the spoilers and the and the and the and all the stuff with the cameras and everything, Cena helped them get through all that. So you can go ahead and you can give him that credit for that. On a wrestling creative level, I will always feel bad for John, because I feel like John would have been great on a creative level, on his own. If you would have given him the punk treatment, or even to this to Roman Reigns to a degree right now, because Roman has a lot of creative control of what he's doing too. If you would have given John the ball to just do what he wanted to do, I promise you, you would have gotten... The wrestling fans would have adored him because he's that type of dude. He's that creative. He would have been able to have turned heel and made it work. But he was the golden goose. And you don't kill the golden goose as long as it's still laying golden eggs. Mm -hmm. They refused on purpose to turn him because they knew creatively they needed to get away from whatever the fuck Steve was. And they learned in the Cena experiment that it didn't work 100%. It was great business, and it worked out for them financially. But on a creative level, it didn't work. You pigeonholed one guy for well over a decade and got what you could out of that. That's why, again, thank John Cena for this, they allowed Roman Reigns to turn heel. Because they said, okay, because they were doing the same thing with Roman. I don't want to turn him into a heel because we need him as a solid babyface. And what they didn't realize was that if with the right creative around it, it could still work. And Roman's current push has proven that. Right. I wish Cena would have gotten the chance that Roman got because we would have seen a different side. Vince was scared. 
Because when Steve turned heel, the fans left and never came back. That's not how they wanted to see Steve Austin. Raw every week, 6.5 in the ratings, 7.2, 8.3. Now, 1.9, 2.3. They never came back. And that's why he never, after Steve's debacle, they said never, never. Yeah, again. but it's per person, man. If people, I think Cena's run as a heel would have been monumental. Yeah. Just how much heat he had being a good guy. It would have been monumental. But Steve, it's a little different. They loved him. They, like They loved They loved him. To be fair, him. the audience booed John because he wasn't Steve. If John, if John would have turned, they would have cheered him. Right. Because that's what they want. They want their baby faces <clears throat> to have a fucking backbone and a set of balls and to step up and, and take care of business. Just like right now. Roman Reigns, for the most part, gets cheered now. Gone are the days of Roman sucks or you can't wrestle or any of that shit. All that shit is gone. He's at a level that I don't he's think anyone is. He's on a different is, goddamn planet. He is on a level on. that I don't think any. Uh, it's going to be hard to see. Enough. We're, we are living in an age of. I know people have their opinions, but what he's doing to the game right now. Oh, dude. I don't think we'll ever see it again. The 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 she, for someone to be as good as they're doing, at the level that they're at, and just doesn't seem to have any drop off anytime soon right now. It's just he's doing something different right now, and it's really it's really cool to see. Yeah, he's a he he is a star for them right now in an era where there are no stars. <clears throat> That's it. So to go Superstar back to there. to go back to your original question, who who is this for? It's for him. He's an entertainer. So, the so this is more. He's treating it more like his art. He this is his art, and he's unwavering. This is his. This is yeah. He's unwavering. This is his art. This is he's going to produce what he's going to produce. But you know what? And this is going to sound rough, but there's truth to it, and and I and I believe this in my heart. The fans, the audience of today validate him they validate him because we're now living in an internet age where the attention span for anything is less than that of a fly and back in the day as i said earlier in the summer they would have their wrestlemania main event planned out back in the day 80s and 90s right and the reason for that is because whoever was getting over would usually nine times out of ten still be over by wrestlemania time right but that's not the case anymore you can't cement a guy in a spot anymore without being as sure as humanly possible because Daniel Bryan, Kofi Kingston, you know, as an example, if these things happen sometimes at the last minute. How many guys recently got hot in November or December and all of a sudden wound up in the main event of goddamn WrestleMania? It's yeah. it, They're now living in an age where they write the show for Raw on the day of Raw. Sometimes Raw's on the air. Live and they're mixing shit up on the format. Right. They they get validated for having a short term memory with their talent because the fans have a short term memory with their talent as well. Yeah. Well, they have that luxury yeah. of that the being fans do, what, right. what it's like today. No, no, no. I mean, the company does. The company has that luxury mm-hmm. today that the mentality, the 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 microwave era, the, the the everything goes in one ear and out the other era that we live in. 
they can make so many errors. And tomorrow, like no one's even talking about the Vin Balor uh, turnbuckle thing that looked super weird. Yeah, I haven't heard of it nope. the week after. I nope. haven't heard about it. Nope. They can do things like that now. They can try things like and that get away now. With it. They can have mistakes like that now in broad daylight recorded by 50 million people. And it never come up again because no. we're it's on to the next. The releases happen. Yeah. That's why it's on. You know to what I'm saying? Next, Tomorrow's to gonna be something that distracts them from yesterday. Yep. Yeah. All it takes is a nice, neat little TikTok, and and no one remembers anymore. That's it, man. It's a luxury. That's it. Everything is in trends, and everything is in waves, and people don't they don't really care about things long term. I can remember botches and fuck ups from. Random Raws and Smackdowns from 1998 off the top of my head. Some of my favorite moments are fuck-ups from that part, and they can't remember it from last week. So that's where the industry is. It la- it, it comes and goes, it's ebbs and flows, and, and it's whatever. And that's why even wrestling companies on the independent level, I was making this complaint yesterday. Every time <laughs> somebody has a good show, and they got a lot of momentum, and the fan goes, man... This was a really fun time. I'd like to come back. When's the next show? And the promoter shakes his head because he don't know. Yeah. We may not see another show from this company for another two, three, four, five fucking months. And then your momentum is gone and you're starting over from scratch. So what was the fucking point? You wasted your money. Right. Dumb. So you either can do this or you can't. You can either promote or you can't promote. If you can't promote, don't promote. Why waste your money on that? Why just throw money in a garbage can like that? I don't I don't understand that myself personally. But, Yeah. So, you know, who's the audience? Him. He's the audience. That's it. And 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 these fans, they bitch and they moan and they complain, but they're there on Monday and they're there on fucking Friday. So, fuck it. Fuck what it. Is, what, hey. is it what does it matter? That's why we're getting the matches here. We're talking about the, 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 we're talking about it and we don't really give a fuck about them. <laughs> but I'm we're not, here. Not, we're here. We're here for it. We made time for it. So we're we make time for it. So it is what it is. It like, is what it is. You know, it's very look at true. the next match here. Champion versus champion. Becky Lynch, the Raw champion, and Charlotte Flair, the SmackDown champion. And now the conversation is well. I will. I refuse to forget about that scenario. Yeah, so everyone, <laughs> everyone's like, well, uh, I guess it was all the work. Uh, I guess it was all the work because. Uh, here they are now wrestling each other. If they really hated each other, they wouldn't be wrestling each other. That's not true at all. Oh, no. That's not true. Business is the business, all. baby. Business is the business. You got to get paid. Business is a business, and that's all that there really is to it here. Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair, what's to talk about? They've done this a thousand times. We've already seen this match. I've seen this match live. Uh, on pay-per-view it's just a just a straight up singles match nothing is, it's just it. sto- story driven the hatred is supposed match. to uh carry it yeah no championship on the line no nothing it's just becky lynch versus charlotte flair which is a match we've seen a billion times so what what is it what does it matter at this point this particular matchup doesn't even have a build except for the fact that becky and charlotte had a little myth the other fucking day or what was it, a couple of weeks now uh, whatever that's yeah. that's the buildup of this match. That's literally it. So it'll be it, the only thing people are really going to be watching this match for. Let's be honest. It's like it's the NASCAR effect. They've seen a these crash. two. Yeah, they've seen these two go, girls <laughs> go 100 miles an hour in a circle before. But will they hit the wall this time is what they're wondering. Mm. Because it's supposedly real between these two. And I'm saying supposedly because that's the rumor. I actually still believe that Becky and Charlotte don't. Uh, talk anymore 
Both of them have said this recently publicly, that they're not as strong friends as they were before. And I believe it because right. both of them have interrelationships. Both of them think very highly of their own skill level. And let's be honest. Charlotte is a fucking flare. And she was the one who was supposed to get over. And she did. So kudos to that. But they always built Charlotte from day fucking one in NXT. She was the one they were going to strap the rocket to. Mm-hmm. And for years of the four horsemen, Charlotte, Becky, Sasha, Bailey, Becky was always the one who was number four. Charlotte was the flair, so we need her to get over. Sasha had a charisma to her. She could right. definitely get over. Becky, I mean, not Becky, Bailey. Had a look to her, but she was amazing in the ring, and she can connect. Becky was a mechanic. She could work a great match with fucking anybody. But there was really nothing else to her. So For a very long time. That's why that one yep. point I, when I looked at wrestling, and I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah. Becky's got the belt. I was not expecting her yeah. to ever get. She had the syndrome of being excellent, but under everybody. Yeah. Like she was she was regarded as one of the best wrestlers, but in a group full of great, the wrestlers. best wrestlers. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, she was the worst out of the most amazing in the yeah. company. She was, Bobby and she Fish. had that stigma always on her. Yeah. Even I, who didn't watch that much in that era knew she had that stigma. Yeah, exactly. She was the Bobby fish, the Bobby fish of this group. The, the she's super talented, really cool, but she's fourth on the list. Right. And it's not an insult to say that of the four, it's, you're four. Nope. Cause all four of you are dope. Because you're still the greatest, one of the, the yeah, four greatest still, wrestlers if, yeah. to ever do it. If Becky had never ex- excelled you're just as the, the worst great. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> if Becky had never become the man, she would have still been regarded as great because she was that good. Right. But something happened. And she got over. Actually, did it, man. she got way it. more over than everyone else. She moved from fourth place to first. She said, not me. Y'all ain't doing me like this. Fuck hey, that. She got so over. The person who was supposed to be the over one, Charlotte, got pushed and shoehorned into the WrestleMania main event. Otherwise, it was going to be Becky and Ronda Rousey. Right. They had to force her ass into that matchup. And Becky still ended up going over anyway. Let's not forget she is the first woman in history to win the main event of fucking WrestleMania. Mm. And that's why I love the... Becky Bianca matchup because that's history. Because there's only been two women to win main events at WrestleMania, and them's the two. Right. So I was like, there you go. That's going to work. And Becky got over like fucking Rover. She <laughs> is still more over than Charlotte Flair. And she was gone for seven fucking, not seven. Uh, what was it? Seven? Was it seven? Or, no, it was longer than that. Over a year. I was going to say months, but I think it was legitimately over a year. She was gone for forever. And still came back more over than Charlotte Flair. So if you're going to tell me that there's nothing there, I don't buy that at all. I'm sorry. Charlotte was always supposed to be the one. Right. Until another one showed up. Mm. What's, the, what's that catch? Everyone's a gangster until a real gangster shows up. That's what That's happened. It. She said, nah, man. She put that. She put the fuel to the fire. She did not allow being number four. She did not like that. No. She knew it. Everyone knew it. She knew it. She wasn't going to allow that shit. Nope. Had a so. baby. Uh, got knocked up by one of the top guys in the company, and it's still it's still more over than the guy who knocked her up. 
So how about that? <laughs> so how about that? Talk about a power struggle. Yeah, power struggle. My Woo! ass. She took his seed, raised <laughs> that seed into a person. Hey, babe, can you get that dishes done? And then Becky Do you see this belt? You better get them dishes done, my dude. Yeah. <laughs> I did my part, motherfucker. You better get in there. Better get in there. Get them damn dishes done before I put hands on you. Uh, by the way, Seth Rollins gets the uh, award for greatest joke on Raw ever when they were doing that shit in the back and somebody had his stuff and he goes, hey, put the stuff on the bus. And the guy who goes to put the stuff on the bus, he goes, and hey, don't wake the baby. Don't wake the baby. And I was like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, the baby's in the car? The yep. baby's in the bus? Mm-hmm. They're traveling around with the infant on the road? You have to, man. Got to do something, right? Yeah. Got to get work. it done. Mama's got to go to work. You could relate. Yeah, no, I definitely can relate. I definitely can. But, uh, yeah, so Becky and Charlotte, who's going to win? Who gives a shit? We move on to the next one. The WWE Championship <laughs> on the don't line. Sound, don't sound so excited. Yeah, the WWE Championship and the Universal Champion. On, uh, I was going to say on the line. It's not. It's uh, it's Big E versus Roman Reigns. It'll be an okay match. But, but you just said it a second ago. Who Who's winning this match? There's only one fucking option here. There's one option. So it's, it's about it's one option every single how time. it goes. With Roman Reign matches, it's how they decide for him to win. What happens is is what's more interesting for me than anything else. Obviously, right? Because we've we've said this many times before. If there's one thing that Vince knows how to do as protect protect his uh what do you say? His golden goose? Yes. He knows how to protect the gimmick. He's not going to take a loss here. We know that. So it's a matter of where they're going with the story and how they're driving it. Because I do like to, I love seeing Big E in these, in these matches, man. And I, I'm because I was a Big E fan before, even when he was in the group. And, and I was like, man, he stands out. He, he'd be really good on his solo run. So seeing him have these matches and these opportunities for me is all I really need to really want to watch this match anyway. So Yeah, it's going to be a good match. I'll and, that's, and that's the beauty about Roman Reigns. Because with John Cena, you knew he was going to win and annoyed the fuck out of you. But for me personally, with, with, uh, with Roman, it's more like, how are they going to drive this story? Because I don't even want I don't even want Roman to lose. Like that's where I'm at at this point right now. I fuck with the gimmick. Now it's just like, all right, how do you build a story or something believable around a man who cannot lose? And that's that's where the fun is for me right now with this with with the Roman situation. Here, here's the one skill that Roman has that John didn't, and I'm not saying that John was bad at it or anything like that. It's just it's more visible with Roman. Mm-hmm. With John, you you always knew, even when he lost, you were just like, "Well, he's gonna get it back, right?" It's, John John was always going to win, a lot like Roman's situation, right? Roman, the skill that Roman has that John really didn't push or really didn't excel at, Rome. The reason why Roman's run, even though he wins everything all the time, never loses, never goes oh. on his back. The reason why his situation is so intriguing and so fun to watch, the skill that Roman displays is we know that he's going to win, but the skill that Roman uses is how close can I get to losing before I could pull it back and win him over. Right. In his matches, he likes to get as deathly close to actually losing this match and really getting the audience hooked to the idea, holy shit, it may happen. 
right, and, right, and then he yanks make it, it out. Make you buy in. Make yep, you and then he yanks it out. And he gets closer and closer every time. There was a spot in that Finn Balor match where you're like, oh, my God. Could it happen? Is it here? And then the fucking rope breaks. There's always something <laughs> as close as he gets. Every time, the Drew McIntyre match, even years ago, from the last time. Now that I'm thinking about it, Claymore, boom! Like he, they do all the right things. This could be it. One, two, kick. One, two. Ah, god damn it! And then he finds a way. Here come the Usos. Here come Heyman. Here comes the fucking guillotine. It's always something else. As soon as the handcuffs from Kevin Owens. Oh, he's handcuffed. This is it. There's no way he walks away from this a winner, and then he does. And then he does. And you're like, oh. Every, that's why I'm telling people, the guy who fucking beats him is going into the Hall of Fame. Like, he, he's going to be the star of WrestleMania weekend that following year. It's like he's he, retire. It's done. You beat Drago. It's over. You know? Believe it. He he's gonna make someone a tremendous star right off the back. I don't see I don't see Roman taking an L. Not here, and, no. Until he's about to retire. Jesus Christ. <laughs> For the next eight years. Gonna, it's gonna, the gimmick, him, bro. That's the problem. The it's the gimmick. And if they do decide to make him drop it, I it's who and what's the the story's gotta be fucking like because then there's no bounce back. He, there's no bounce back if they do it incorrectly. That's the only problem. Jesus. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, once see you, what do. It's like Goldberg Street. Once you snap it, it's done. And That's then it. you got to figure something else out after the fact. Yep. Uh, the tag team champions, Raw, RK Bro against SmackDown's Usos. What does it matter? I mean, it's going to be fun to watch yeah, anytime uh, RK Bro's in the ring. I'm, I'm entertained. So. I need Randy Orton out of the fucking tag division. Yo, get leave him alone, man. He does so much carrying. Let him have some fun, man. Is he having fun though? Yes, I think he is. I don't know. Man, I think he a is. A man with a mustache like that has got some issues to be working with. No, that thing is. I think he's having a blast, dude. Why wife, not? Fucking, he's doing something different. Doing something different. He had to fucking carry what's his face the entire fucking year when he wasn't even there. Well, that's true. So let them do something the man, fun for give, once. Give the Jesus. Here we go. Yeah, exactly. Well, I still, you know, in all that we just said, I still see the Usos winning this. So fuck it. <laughs> Probably. Got to protect the gimmick. Got to protect the gimmick. The bloodline, baby. They can't come out losers. It's for the belts? No, no belts. It's no belts. Just a, yeah. Then I don't. Whatever. Uh, we'll see then again. Oh, that's actually kind of interesting because when you say protect the gimmick, I don't know now. You know, it's so funny because I'm thinking in my head, Roman is so over, the Usos can't lose. That's how over Roman But is. that's what makes this interesting because <laughs> people love RK-Bro so much that I don't, I don't know. It's actually kind of interesting. We'll see what happens, I suppose. Oh, that's a good way Because I, 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 I honestly don't know who's going to win this Usos match. Not. I see the Usos not losing nah, because I of the see, gimmick, but nah. then I see RK Bro not losing because of their, nah. their the Usos, situation. The Usos win this. I would be, I would legitimately be stunned if RK Bro won this. I'm like, oh, really? Where do you, what the fuck? Oh, that's me. Okay, I'm like, yo, did I just summon something? What is that? Is All right. But no, I could totally see the fucking Usos. The Usos are going to win this. For sure. Okay. Oh, so you, you have no question about nah, no it. No question. No. Okay. I, Good I, enough. I, I don't. I don't see why it would go the other way. RK Bro can take a loss and not hurt what it's got going on. 
Especially with okay. the whole Randy Orton yelling at Riddle. They got to think like a champion. I'm like, you do, who are you talking to? He's dude, talking to his dude, friend, dude. dude he's trying to pump him up. This dude is high off his own supply, bro. He, he might be, but that. he's <laughs> trying to, you know, he's trying to be a leader to a leader, bro. It's not easy he's to do. To, he's trying to be a leader. But he's a, but he's a, he leads by example. He's a hardworking man. He loves his position. He loves being a tag team titles. And that's another thing. I like the tag team titles on these guys, man. It, it gives it, I don't know, just a little bit more fun. It's like it means something. Randy Orton's holding the belt. That means a lot. I so, can't disagree with that. And you know how I feel about these side belts. So for someone like that to be holding the belt and it just looked like fun, they make it look like fun. Right, everything doesn't gotta be fucking serious. Like they make it look like fun. It's entertaining for me. I enjoy the fuck out of both of them. I'm pretty huge on the the Usos now. I fucking hated those guys so much for so long. But there again, credit to Roman. He did something that just made me believe in him. So he got his whole family over, dude. He and that's not even a joke, dude. (laughs) He really did. That's what's fucking hilarious about it. But I don't know. It's going to be good. I think this one will be be at least fun to watch for sure. Uh, speaking of fun to watch, the last one we got here, Damian Priest, who is the U.S. champ against Shinsuke Nakamura, is the Intercontinental champ. Uh, this is going to be a good match, actually. I like the idea of these two going against each other. Yeah, I think this will be a pretty fun match. I like Shinsuke. I remember when Shinsuke came in, and it was just like he was – I don't know, like – Explain this to me. I don't know if you know this. Obviously, I don't think there'd be any way for you to know this. But, like, does he like where he's at? He's still there. So I, don't I mean, I guess. But the paycheck could keep people somewhere, too. That's, I'm just curious because, I don't know, like I said, when I first saw him come in, he was someone to be feared. But now it feels like they got him in so many, like, Let's so say think, entertaining. You gotta gimmicks. think about why he was feared. I've heard that before. It was like he was such an intimidating figure when he came in. Yeah, but why? Because well, I don't was, know. Because I didn't know anything about him. That's I'll tell you just why. Kind of the way they presented. I'll tell him you why. He was the king of strong style. Right there His, you go. The lure <clears throat> of Shinsuke Nakamura was that he could knock your head off. Did you? He was stiff. He worked nice and tight. And that was what people loved about him. He would go into the ring and basically would be a fight every time he was in there. Right, you can't do that in WWE. So why the fuck would they promote but, him as that? Because right, and that's why that. I'm wondering why he would have been there that long. Because, I would have imagined. Uh, I don't know. Like you said, I don't know check. him personally. But I gotta tell you this: if I spent a ten plus years as a, in a career of getting punched in the face for fucking real, <laughs> and then I went to another company where they paid me more to be punched a whole lot less, <laughs> I'm happy. I'm good. And he goes out there and he sells I'm that good too, man. Do you want to, I mean, realistically, as an older person, right? I mean, he's not old, but he's he's not in his 20s anymore. His age is is higher than yeah, what he his, may be because yes, of his business, his line his of business. He's in his 40s right now. Yeah, but he so probably wanna, feels like he's in his fucking 60s with all the fighting yeah, that he does. Do I want to go to Japan and get punched in the face by Minoru Suzuki every fucking night? Or do I want to wrestle, I don't know, the fucking Miz for a week and fucking go surf and eat Taco Bell all fucking day? Like, what the fuck? What the fuck do you think is going to happen here? Fans forget we're people. Sometimes, (laughs) sometimes getting paid more to do less work is fucking appeasing. Right. Is he happy on a creative level? Maybe not. 
But maybe because he's done enough creativity. Where he was, he was a top guy. I don't think he feels here like he's a top guy. But they're paying him well. I don't know if he has a ton of free time, but he's also not married with kids. So any free time he has is his fucking free time. True. To do whatever he wants. He has stated on many occasions that he loves being on the West Coast because he's a big surfer guy and is huge over there. He has managed to find ways to be happy with whatever he's doing. So if he's happy. Hey, man, if that's the case, that's a pure definition of getting a job that you're willing to do so you can enjoy life. Yeah, he's enjoying his fucking life. And if that's the case, then fucking he's killing it. He's not putting on the five star matches. He was because I still enjoy it. But I could imagine people that grew with him yeah. might be slightly disappointed in what his his gimmick is turning to be. Yeah, pe- people were complaining about AJ Styles. You know, uh, he's not the man he used to be. I need him back in New Japan. He's also in his 40s. And he's a father of, like, a thousand kids. Apparently, Christians in the South don't pull out. I don't understand hey, how that works. Hey, look, man. I... I'm not going to hate on people for chasing nostalgia because I've done that. Thankfully, thankfully, I don't find myself doing that so much anymore. Maybe that's because I enjoy the current at the moment. Just a bunch of things that go on, whatever. But there were there was a large portion of my life where I would literally sit in just fucking depression because nostalgia was just so strong. Like you just miss all the stuff that you had in that moment and you just want it back. <clears throat> so I don't know. I'm not going to kill him for that. Oh, fair enough. Fair but enough. I'm trying to clear my throat without making too much fucking noise. But <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm not going to kill him for that. I understand that feeling. It's a real feeling. It almost feels like depression. I don't, especially with something you love so much and it's just not the same. So. I know, but you know, we all go through this. I'm approaching 40 and the stuff that I thought was cool when I was a kid I can understand the attachment. There's a new Ghostbuster movie out that I'm dying to see. I never thought in my wildest dreams I'd ever be going to another fucking Ghostbuster movie in my life. But it's here. And I have to go into it with the idea that it's not 1988. And that's the problem because when <laughs> things like... Listen, some people... The people that are that are in the stage that you're in, when these things come out, you can appreciate it because it makes you feel happy about the stuff that you used to enjoy as well, which is great. The problem is, is that when you're in that limbo of nostalgia, this shit only just triggers you more. Yeah. No. So when you see the Shinsuke on there and you're like, fuck, why isn't he just being Shinsuke? What is this shit that I'm watching right now? Instead mm-hmm. of appreciating Man, I love the fact that this dude could be in a place that he can do the things that he enjoys and still maintain a career and still be entertaining. I still like watching him. I may have not known him before, but I enjoy what he does. I respect the the gimmick that he's doing because it's not an easy thing to do. Anyone try to go in front of people and be awkward like that and but do it to a point where you look professional and not like a goon. Do you know what I'm saying? Like. Within yourself, it's hard because you can't fully commit to it because you feel awkward. So I respect what he does on a professional level. He's doing it at a high level, and it's super awkward. I couldn't act the way that he acts in public. I would feel I wouldn't I wouldn't do it with confidence, <clears throat> and that's what it feels like he does. So if that's why I wanted to ask that question because if he really does at least 
I mean, he's been there for so long, so obviously he somewhat enjoys what he's doing. To me, I can respect the fuck out of that because that's not an easy thing to do, man. Yeah, and there are some people who, I mean, they can't get over the idea that, you know, performers are people. To, to a lot of fans, wrestlers, it's a job. wrestlers are playthings. They're playthings. We don't, to them, it's like when a wrestler gets injured, it's like putting the toy back in the bin and playing with something else until you feel like playing with the other one again. And so, like, they don't, they don't count the years. As fans grow older, so do the playthings. Yeah, and their wants and their needs and their whatever changes over time, and just happens that way. Yeah, he may not even want to fucking do it like oh. that anymore. I, I wouldn't. <clears throat> I, I at wouldn't his age, want. I wouldn't either. Although you do have assholes like Jericho out here trying to make you <laughs> make that decision harder to do to the fans because you got people like that fucking taking uh light bulbs to the face at like. Whatever fucking age Jericho is, but yeah, but he's yes. in a different position in his life too. He he's a midlife crisis is not even fucking explaining it all the way. He he wants Jericho has always gotten over, and he's always had the talent to be over. And I'm not saying anything to be disrespectful toward someone who I feel is one of the greatest performers of all time. Greatest, but at in his prime when he was dope, his abilities masked. In my opinion, his actual personality and that he loves to be loved. He loves to be loved. There's a piece of him that that cherishes the idea. You don't get to that level. Millions of people. Attention. Yeah. That millions of people love him. And for years, it was always it was hard to see because people genuinely did love him. He was dope. Every time that countdown hit, even the WCW, when he was doing the whole spoiled brat routine and you know Goldberg nothing Jericho 3 or whatever the fuck he was always someone who garnered attention so when someone always gets attention it's hard to determine whether or not that that attention is wanted now that his career is declining and it's coming down and everyone's career comes down everyone's as his career starts to wind down you're starting to see more of Chris than you are of Jericho. And you're right. You don't get to that level the way that he did without some sort of obsession with the attention. And he loves the attention. It's more noticeable now because for us fans who grew up watching him, we knew he wrestled and he performed a certain way. Right. And in e- and in AEW, he has completely changed that. And it's noticeable Chris Jericho didn't take light tubes to the fucking... It's Chris Jericho taking light tubes to the face. This guy wrestled in ECW and didn't do those things. Where <laughs> ECW made those things popular. He was the wrestler in a world of destructive forces. And now he's 50 taking tubes to the fucking face. No, this is a... pride, man. They said he couldn't do it yeah. no more. This is a completely different dude. And I'm not going to hate on it. It's his life. He's made the money. He's got the legacy. It's his career to fucking decide. But right. you can't be sensitive to the criticism. The criticism is fucking valid. This is not who you are. It's not what you do. Now, you get to dictate that. You're a human being. Right. But when you've been a certain way for how long did we just celebrate his career? 25 years or whatever the fuck? 30 years? Didn't we just do like a whole celebration on his career? Mm-hmm. When you've been a certain way for decades, that's the way they see you. So when you right. go the other way, I'm sorry. You're going to be criticized for it. Now, if 
you've got the balls to do it anyway and take the criticism, fine. That's what we all have to do at some point. Right. But he doesn't handle criticism well, and that makes it worse. And then it then then the, the it's like when you're in school and the bully makes fun of you and they say, well, you know, if you just don't sell it, they won't fuck with you. He's the kid who sells it every time. <laughs> so the bully keeps fucking doing it over and over. They're memeing him. They're making they're calling him grandma, and they've got the the body shaming thing going because every time they make fun of him, he stamps his feet and he cries about it. So they're gonna keep doing it. So that's the yeah. situation that he's in. God damn it. <laughs> Fucking Chris Jericho. So that's Survivor Series. We've been all over the map with this whole thing, but that's that's how wonderful Survivor Series is. We were able to conversate about everything else while we talked about Survivor Series. So for yeah. all of you who are are about to watch the pay per view, uh, I encourage you to do the same thing live when you're in your living room or your bedroom or whatever. Just talk about other shit while it's in the background. Why not? Because that's why not. That's what happens now with live pay-per-views. I used to throw parties in my house for these things. I wouldn't. I don't want to be in my house for Survivor Series. So <laughs> I'm not going to have other people in my fucking house for it. We have to go. Survivor Series is starting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is the perfect time to take a three-hour shit. That's it. You ready? Here we go. No, come on. It's not going to be that bad. <laughs> it'll have its moments like all their pay-per-views. It'll have their moments, and then for the rest of it, it'll just drag, drag, drag. So now that Survivor Series is out the way and we're on our way out of here for this particular episode, I wanted to really quickly go back onto the topic that always seems to brighten my day, and that's talking about me. <laughs> you know, talk about me a little bit. <laughs> All right, so we talk shit about Jericho, and then you do that. Yeah, that's fine. Exactly. Well, that's I'm cool. also approaching my midlife crisis, so fuck him. Yeah, it's my crisis. It's, yeah, we all have our own crises, and I'm going through mine. No, somebody asked me the question the other day, and it really fucking made me thought, because, ironically enough, based on what we just said, I don't normally think about my career. I just do things. And then whatever mm -hmm. happens, happens. I never really kind of keep track of what the hell's going on. It's not really until somebody, I envy that. Uh, envy, why? What, wait, not why? thinking. Oh, not okay. <laughs> If you spend one minute in my brain, you'd understand why I'm a little slow to some stuff, yeah, dude. Okay. It's fuck it. It's a curse. I, I I literally just I tell people all the time when they say shit like that. It's like, oh man, I just I don't really think about. It. I just do. Like, oh, I fucking envy that. You'll never understand the fucking pain. Like, yo, I'll do one thing and then I'll start evaluating it already. It's like, dude. Yeah. I haven't even released it yet. You, why am yeah. I looking? At, you know, why am I looking at stuff? Just, just do, man. You know, just fucking you know, do it and go. Yeah. I, I just envy. That's all. You know who suffers from that <clears throat> affliction? Steph. Steph. Everything she does is second, third, fourth guessing. Yeah. Even stuff that she does all the time. Hard. She can't yeah. email a, another teacher without second guessing. Does this sound like a bitch? This is. Am I getting my point across? This is, yeah. Just fucking send the email. God damn it. No, yeah. man, because well, it's not perfect, no, and it no, can no. never be perfect. But that's the problem. <laughs> that's because in I my think... brain, I feel like it can be perfect, yeah. dude. And if it's not perfect, then why the fuck am I doing it? No, because it's fun. It, well, it's... <laughs> and now I, comes the curse. Yeah, I, I've been, I've always described myself as the Joker from uh, the Dark Knight. Was it the Dark Knight when uh, he was talking to Two Face? And he goes, I'm like a little puppy that chases the ice cream truck. I wouldn't really know what to do with it if I actually caught it. Like, that's right. me. Like, I just, right. I'm not much of a planner. I just do. Right. right. And I She's fucking a planner. That. She's yes. a planner. 
Yeah. That's what she does all day. And then gets mad that I don't plan. I'm like, two decades, bro. I haven't planned yeah, anything yet. But <laughs> here's the thing, dude. You both are like yin and yang, though. That's why. Yeah. It's the same thing over here. I'm the same way. I just... Well, <clears throat> when it comes to my own personal shit, I'm not the same way. When it comes to life stuff, I'm just, I go with the flow. Like, I won't plan shit. She's a planner. So, yeah, that's the yin and yang. That's why it works so fucking well. Yeah. So I don't really think much about my career uh, until someone brings it to my attention because I work with a lot of people that seemingly I can't seem to shake. I'm, I'm going to name drop Mike Law for a second because Mike Law uh, – he started his career, I want to say, a year or two before mine. Mm-hmm. So when I had met him, he was already kind of in the game for a minute. And I met him for the first time, I think, I want to say 2010, 2011, something like that. And we see each other at shows from time to time. You know, some, it's independent wrestling. You, you, you mix around. So I saw him last night. We bumped into each other, gave each other the big embrace and the hug. And, oh, man, been a long time. What's going on? You do the whole catch-up thing. How the kids? Well, he doesn't have a kid. He didn't make the mistake of coming into a vagina. So he's he's good. And he he said, uh, you know, we catch up and all that other stuff. And I made the comment. I said, man, you know, I could disappear for two years. I, I haven't, but I could. So I could disappear for two years. Get booked at a random show, come over and see your ass still taping up. This is a, this is a crazy thing. And he's like, yep, still on the grind, still pushing. And it's so true. Like, you, you don't really know, you know, until you've been doing this for a minute, how consistent the people are around you. Right. Because there are people who I started with who haven't done this <clears> in years, and then there's people I started with who are still going hard today. Right. So that's when conversations like this come up, when they go, oh, man, you know, you start having memories, and you start bullshitting back and forth. And I don't know if you saw a pit, uh, on the social media earlier. Uh, I got to share it out. But uh, by accident, the GOAT reunited last night. We didn't do anything on the show, but we all happened to be on the same show. Uh, Cage was uh, doing commentary. Whiplash had a match, and of course, I managed the Blood Brothers. So, it's the first time since the FSW days where all five of us were in the building at the same time. So we took a photo mm-hmm. together because uh, right. it's, it's to us that's history. We haven't been together. I mean, especially with Geo, we we haven't seen each other in forever. All of us together in the same room. So that was a surreal night last night. Show was over, and we're all talking, and we're all doing memories and stuff like that. And it got me thinking, because somebody had asked me actually about a week ago, and I finally put, I finally sat down and put it together, and I sent it to you. Uh, someone had asked me, uh, what are some of the best matches that you personally, me in question, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. have ever called as a as a commentator? Okay. And he asked me that face to face, and I just made this wild face because I was like, I have no idea how to answer this. Because right? there's a lot of matches where in the moment where I'm loving it and I and I am enjoying it and I'm calling it and it's a ton of fun. And then like over the years, because I'm doing so much, you know, you tend to forget how much fun you actually had being a part of those matches. So there were a few that popped up like instantly. And right. then there were some that I kind of had to think about and I kind of started looking over some footage and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I remember that. So I actually sat down and put a, put a top 10 together and i wanted to share that with the audience today before we got out of here okay now i showed this list to my wife who proceeded to laugh in my face i was about to say because if there's anybody who could probably put a list together right next to you was her 
Well, she didn't. She's been together. there for a lot of. She, no, not to yeah, say that she, she didn't, didn't, but yeah. she'd be able to recognize it and yeah. go, "Nah, this wasn't it." Well, she laughed because <clears> she, when she looked at the list, she goes, "Bro," I said, like, "What?" She was like, "That's a lot of name dropping, bro." And I'm like, no, wait, uh, and I went, wait a goddamn second, though. I did call these matches. They <laughs> did. I saw it. You called. Yeah, I sent you the links. My voice yeah. is on every single one of these videos. Yeah, like, yeah, I sat there and called these matches, and they were the most fun. And she was like, "Hi, bro." She's like, "Hi, nigga." If that's what you want to tell yourself, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah I see yeah. what you did there. I was like, "No, Nick, no, that's not what happened here." And now you feel like an asshole because you're like, not. "This really is my no, favorite." No, it's not. <laughs> I don't because these are the real fucking matches that I called and I had the most fun calling. And I'm going to explain each one so that you know why it's on the goddamn list. I didn't. I'm not name dropping to be cool. It just so happens I work with cool people. Mm. What the fuck? I've been doing this for 10 years. If I didn't work with stars by now, what the fuck am I doing? I think True. everybody at some point has worked with a star. I'm not name dropping people because they're my best fucking friend. Actually, some of these matches that I call, I never even spoke to those motherfuckers in the building when I when they happened. So I'm not coming out here telling the whole world that I'm friends with everybody. These are the top 10 matches I have fun calling, period. So right. we're going to move on with the list because I got like 15 minutes and then I got to go. Good enough. So starting at the bottom of the list, we're going to work from 10 to 1. Right. So number 10, Stan Styles, sizzling Stan Styles versus a guy that I just fucking mentioned a second ago, Mike Law, Fiesta Pro Wrestling. This was uh, the reason why it's on this list for me. It was the first time I was ever asked to do commentary as a heel. I'd never done commentary as a heel before because everybody okay. always hires me to do commentary straight up as a play-by-play guy. Right. This was my first time being color, and it was my first time being a heel, which I asked specifically, you want me to be color? And I wasn't doing the managing gimmick at the time. I was like, you want me to be color, so are we doing it straight MMA style? Or And they told me, they said, JR and the King. I said, "Oh, you should." Oh God, you should. That's nasty. You shouldn't have said that to me because I'm not gonna do fucking the king. What do you? What? What? I said I could do, I I could be funny, but I'm not gonna fucking. I'm not doing stand up comedy on commentary. Because <laughs> yeah, that's what the '90s king was. You know, you know. Those, Essentially, they yeah. were they were setup jokes. So I'm like, I'm not. No, I'm not doing that. You know, I'm not gonna go on. The, it was a Christmas show too, and I had the perfect one, so I resisted, but I didn't. And I was like, I could have went in there and did the old Jerry the King Lawler lines. Like, you know, my, uh, you know, I got a sweater for Christmas. And then have him go, yeah, really? I said, yeah, I wanted a screamer or a motor, but I got a sweater. And I was like, oh, see, I could have did that. I could have did that. But I'm bigger than that. And I'm, and I'm more professional. I'm bigger than so that. So instead of making stand-up comedy jokes, okay. I just made fun of my commentating partner pretty much all fucking night. And this match of the whole night was the most fun for me because Mike at the time was doing this gimmick with an oversized, comically large barbell. Mm-hmm. And Stan has this fucking shake weight deal that he does. So it was like a matchup between two dudes with physical gimmicks. And without planning it, this was not planned at all. It was a whole deal. Mike treats the barbell like a friend, like a real person. Like Moppy from back in the day. Like he treats it like a real entity. And in the match, something had happened and it was, it was a shoot. It was for real. It broke. And I sold it like his friend had died. And it was the mm. best. It was the best thing ever. I was like, no, no. <laughs> it's like, mm. 
it was a lot of fun. So I was like, that was one of the most fun times I ever had calling a match, and I was a bad guy, so I got a chance to play with that. That was that was a lot of fun. Right. So that's why it made the list number 10. Okay, now people listening to this are going, well, I don't know those names, so I don't know. Oh, well, don't worry. We're getting there. So number nine. Oh, it's the, not two name droppy. Yeah. Not, not, not yet. <laughs> not yet. Five. Uh, the protector of professional wrestling, as he was known back then. He's changed his name since. But Jack Gallo versus the rogue Anthony Gangone. This was a combination show of House of Glory and Fight the World Wrestling. And uh, this was one of my earlier calls back in the Dizzy. Mm. And this was uh, a great match. And the reason why it was on this list is because that show in particular didn't have a whole lot of names on it. And House of Glory is notorious for that. They like to load up the card with high-priced talent. But they have their students and they have the lower-tier guys that have you know lower preliminary matches or whatever. Right. And this match uh, fucking stole it for me. And I was calling this with Brandon... Uh, at the time, the authentic Brandon Lewis, uh, who's recently returned from his retirement and is back on commentary with Catalyst Wrestling. I'm happy for the guy. And to this day, still my greatest commentating partner. Uh, a lot of these matches that are on this list, I called with him. And this was one of the first ones we did. And we, I've, Brandon is very smart and he's very funny. But when Brandon's really into a match, he's less funny. And he's more intuitive, and he turns more into a straight-laced color commentator. And up until right. that point, he'd always been the funny guy, and we would be doing back-and-forth stuff. And da, da, da. This was the first match where it felt like we were calling a fight, like, right. a, like a boxing fight, because mm-hmm. these two guys were fucking murdering each other, throwing right. each other into the rails, fucking slamming each other on the floor. This was a brawl, and we loved every fucking minute of this. And it was for the FTW Gen X Championship, secondary title for the company, and it mm-hmm. was a high-intensity match. And we were like, oh, we were really into this one. So, like, that's why it was on the list for me because I remember not only the fun of it but the intensity. I remember that was the first time I felt like a serious announcer. Like, I was really into it. Like, I felt like I was calling a boxing match. It was so intense. And I was like, this is pretty cool. So right. that's why that one made it to number nine. Now, everything after this <laughs> – it's all name drop, but that's fine. I don't give a shit because I actually had fun watching this. So number eight, and I had to find this one. I went looking for it. Number eight was the then-known EYFBO, as we all know them now, Santana and Ortiz against Private Party at House right. of Glory. This was pre-AEW, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, the company didn't even exist when I called this match. I called, I must have in my career called EYFBO versus Private Party more than any other tag team match in my career. Those fuckers fought each other a thousand times, and I called every single one. This was my favorite one to call because they had finally found their rhythm and their formula, and it was nonstop energy, and they were just going back and forth. But this match for me was special for two reasons. One, the puke spot. Now, you don't see it on the camera. And you don't see it in, in in the match when you're watching it on YouTube. It was perfectly edited. But before this match took place, <laughs> I have to tell the story. And I think I told it on the show before. But before this match took place, Santana did not feel well. He came to the building not feeling okay. Right. And this is pre-corona and all that stuff. He just, something wasn't right. And I told him, I said, you're going to be all right tonight? He's like, yeah, 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 I'll be fine. It's just, you know. 
I trained before I came here today, so should be good to go. I said, all right, should be good to go, fine. And Private Party, as everyone knows, is a very fast-paced, entertaining team. EYFBO, also a very fast-paced, entertaining team. So spot, 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 spot. So no, no big deal there. So they're going, they're going, they're going, and there's a spot that they like to do with Private Party where it's like a, a double Hurricane Rana off the top rope. So Santana's in the top rope. He gets hit. He gets crotched. So Ortiz goes to help him. And then Ortiz ends up climbing the rope so that he can get Santana off the rope. While in that position, mm-hmm. Mark Quinn will then run up to the corner and put his legs around both EYFBO members' heads and her can run them both off the top rope simultaneously. Dope spot. Well, Santana's the one who has to get set up first. So they slap him around, drop him, blah, blah, blah. They get him on the second rope. When they get him on the second rope, he starts to teeter a little bit. And I'm calling the match, but I'm keeping an eye on Santana because I'm like, I hope he doesn't fall from there. And the fucking, he leans over to the fucking right side and just starts yakking from the top rope to the floor. Oh, no. And I'm on the opposite side, but I could tell it's a mess because the whole front row backed up. I'm like, oh, it's splashing. It's splashing. (laughs) Get out of the way. And he just yaks all over the fucking place. And I was like, man, I hope that's not on camera. And luckily for us, it wasn't. As he's yakking to the right, Ortiz is coming up on his left side to join him on the turnbuckle. And I, I felt so bad. It was like a little baby. He was patting him on the back. He was like, come on, big guy. Get it all out. And Santana does the whole deal with the wrist tape. He's wiping his mouth. And he turns, and they both get hit with a hurricane run off the top rope. So for the record, folks, I want you to understand, if for anybody who's ever thrown up, I want you to remember, after imagine throwing up, and then immediately after you throw up, you just fall like 8 to 10 feet to the floor for no reason. Mm. He took a top rope front, uh, not front bump, a, a top rope back bump right after throwing, immediately after throwing up. Right. So I know he's not feeling well. So that was the first thing that made it memorable. The second was, and I, and I gave you the, the marker. So at the end of the match, he's obviously feeling better. <laughs> he well, yeah, he's good him. now. He's he good just now. got all that shit out yeah, of him. Yeah, he's empty now. So he's empty now. So when the match is over, uh, he grabs his belt, Santana. I mean, Ortiz grabs his belt because they were the House of Glory tag team champions at the time. They, they grab their belts, and they start walking off, and Santana's interacting with the crowd or whatever. And if you look on camera, he's interacting with the crowd. He turns his back, and he starts walking backwards, and he's looking at somebody, and he's holding up his belt or whatever. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he just does a suck it, like a DX suck it. And he laughs, and he turns, and he walks off. Now, if you're watching this video, the person he's looking at is me. <laughs> and the suck it chant, was because I was being an asshole <laughs> quietly <laughs> and he was reacting be- to my asshole behavior. So I said I would explain this. So House of Glory was on fuck me. Friday. It was a Friday show. And we had a 2KW show the day after on Saturday. And they were wrestling the Zoltan on Saturday. So they wrestled Private Party on Friday and they wrestled the Zoltan on Saturday. And for those of you who don't know, the Zoltan is a tag team that I used to manage back in the day with Chris Cage and Whiplash. And Zoltan, they, their signature little pose, I guess you could say, is 
they put their hands together, left hand on top, and they form a Z. Just like in the movie, uh, Dude, Where's My Car? That's where they got Zoltan from. Okay. From the mystical being in the sky or whatever, Zoltan. And they do the, Zoltan! And they do the thing with the fucking hands and they make a Z. Mm-hmm. So I was being a dick. I knew he wasn't feeling well, so I figure my friend is down. I should kick him. So yeah, it makes sense. So he picks up his belt. He walks by the commentating table to interact with fans. And I'm clapping or whatever. So when Santana looks at me to show me the belt, I hit him with the Z. So when I hit him with the hands and the Z, he gave me the suck it back and he walked off. So that's what that was. <laughs> I was just being a dick just to remind him, yeah, you won tonight, but you got the Z tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And he was just being, it was just a cool moment between us. And me and Santana have a lot of those where we very quietly in front of a lot of people would communicate. Nobody knows what we're talking about. So one yeah. of the fun parts about being in the business and knowing what you're doing, yeah, you can do stuff like that. So that was a lot of fun. So that, obviously that made my list at number eight. Number seven, another House of Glory match. Uh, the Amazing Red versus Brian Excel in a cage match. Now, the match itself is pretty good. Why is this on my list and why is it as high on this list? Uh, it was my first cage match to call as a commentator. I had never called a cage match before. And I was in the room when they made the decision to make it a cage. Uh, I happened to be at the school at the time. And they, they were discussing what they were going to do with this feud between Red and Brian. It was Brian's kind of retirement situation. And he, because he he wanted to focus more on just being the promoter for House of Glory, so he he wanted to go out with a bang. So he's wrestling Red, which is his like best friend and co-owner, and we're gonna main event this card together, and it's Christmas time, and it's gonna be a real dope time. And all of a sudden, the idea came out: you think we can get a cage? Right. And I was like, sitting there with my eyes wide open, I said, "Please get a cage, please get a cage. I don't have any money right now. I can't help you in that." But you gotta get a cage. <laughs> you gotta get a cage. So when they made the announcement officially online, I remember calling Brandon. I said, Brandon, we're about to call a cage match between two of like the greatest New York wrestlers of all time. And he was just like, Yeah, I know, that's pretty crazy. Like, he always undersold everything. So I was like, This is great. When we came to the building, uh, it's not like WWE when you walk into the cages above the ring. They had all the panels and everything to the cage off to the side. So I remember just thinking to myself this is really happening we're gonna have a cage match tonight so when you open up the show i know you know you're supposed to have energy all the time you know when you open right. up the show ladies and gentlemen welcome to house of glory and you start going over the card and i'm going over the card in the back of my head i'm like this is gonna be awesome this is gonna be awesome and then i get and of course brandon in our main event and then brandon goes oh this is the main event we've all been waiting for Rosinia is like two men who absolutely cannot be contained by general and standard wrestling rules, we had to call the commission and get the cage. You know, and, they, and they did a shot of the fucking cage on the side. I was like, oh, my God. I've never been more amped for a fucking show in my life to this day than I was that fucking show, except for my number one match on this list. But getting ready to call a cage match for me was huge because I've always been a fan of the cage. Right. Uh, I, I've always been a fan of the cage. That's why I recently, too, I just put up a status not too long ago about I wish we had more people that could tell a cage story because we don't have that anymore. Now when you watch cage matches, it's tables, it's chairs, it's ladders. It's like, no, just use the cage. Just right. the cage. Plenty of story you can tell with just the cage. 
And this match did a little of that. They did include one table at the end where Red fell off the top of the cage through a table to the floor. But other than that, it was a traditional cage match. And I got the chance to call that. And I was like, this is amazing. And there was blood and, and, and fighting and cage. And I was like, yes, more cage. <laughs> I was like, this is great. So, yeah, number seven on the list, definitely. Uh, the match after this, number six, had none of that. None of that at all whatsoever. Uh, this was Davey Richards against Josh Alexander at Global Syndicate Wrestling. This one I just recently called in August. Uh, right. Definitely made the list because it was a three-man commentating booth uh, with Sam Laterna and Paul Crockett, I believe was his name. And Paul was is, is, is a pro wrestling announcer, but he also does MMA. So he is very knowledgeable uh, when it comes to the moves and the cells and all that different stuff. He's like an MMA guy. And right. Sam uh, has a history with the two guys in the ring as well. So to me, in my opinion, maybe I'm off, I don't know, but this was one of the best three-man experiences I've ever had. Because for some reason, for this match, and it went on for a while, it was a draw, time limit draw, I was able to weave this match, in my opinion, almost perfectly for three people in a match this long that was just straight wrestling. They didn't do anything crazy, nothing over the top rope. They didn't even do dives. It was a wrestling match that somehow made its way outside from time to time. But other than that, it was just two guys just trying to beat each other in a match. And they had an amazing match. And I was able to, that was one of the first times I felt like as an announcer that I was able to control the tempo of everything taking place. Mm -hmm. I got Sam in there. I got Paul in there. I'm selling, oh, what does that do to the leg? Da -da -da. Paul gets in there. Sam, you just spoke to Josh earlier today. What kind of strategies are you looking forward to? Baba, we fucking sold this match beautifully, I feel. And as a professional, I just felt like this was one of my best uh, coordination as far as making sure everyone got a piece told the right story, got the talent over, just everything you're supposed to do as an announcer. I felt right. like we checked all the boxes on this. <clears throat> when this match was over, I believe we had like one more match and then intermission, and I think all three of us were like, "Hey, we clicked on that one. That one was good. That one was good. And we got a lot of feedback online because we were live streaming. And whenever we live stream, I have the phone in front of me. I'm trying to keep track of what people are saying. And we got a lot of great positive feedback from that match. And I just remember, you know, that felt good. That felt great, like, doing that. You know, I felt like a real announcer, announcer in that particular moment. So that's one of my favorites. That's on the list. Now we're cracking the top five here. And I got to go back to Global Syndicate Wrestling at another show. Allison K and Hyan, or Hyan, I should say. Wow. Um, okay, so for this one, I was getting, I, I made a lot of comparisons when it was over. Uh, when I spoke to to Hyann about the match, because we bumped into each other when the show was over. Oh, well, how'd the match go? Uh, you know, how'd the commentary go for the match? I said, you know, one of the best matches I've ever seen from two women in my life was Bailey and Sasha at NXT in Brooklyn, the first Brooklyn show. I walked away from that match, and I was like, that might be the best women's match I've ever seen in my entire life. And I mentioned that to her because I was like, I think you guys are like right there because <laughs> that match was fucking amazing to call. They went back and forth and back and forth and they fucking went after each other. And it was just really well contested. It was just such a great 
like in the moment, the crowd's into it. I got blown up calling it. Uh, Allison Kay has an MMA background as well. So even when they weren't throwing bombs at each other. Uh, it was very technical. Very technical. Uh, very, I, very, very, very technical. Because this is where I got. This is where I got to. I started from the top and worked my way down. Yeah. Uh, I remember watching this match and saying to myself, like, wow, these these women are in here. They're wrestling. Yeah. Like, <laughs> there, there were some strikes and stuff like that, but they were, like, on the mat for yeah. most of the time. They were going back and forth. It was a pretty good match. Yeah, they were going for it. And, and, and they were really wanted to set a pace for the tournament. This was a, a first-round matchup. And then we did the, uh, the little ambulance angle at the end or whatever, the stretcher job. But up until that point, uh, that was just, I mean, just technically speaking, they were just in it. And I botched the call at the end. Um, the arm submission that Allison used at the end was a variation of the Kimura lock, and I didn't realize that um, until after when I, when I had spoken to her about it. But uh, other than that, I mean, normally that would take me out of the commentating. Like, I would be upset about that. I'm like, ah, fuck that call up. But this match was just overall so good. I, was just like, I feel oh, like the person you were doing commentary with on this one was really good. Sam. She did. It was Sam. It was Sam again. This one, it was just me and her, though, this time. Not she, did, she did something that stood out to me that um, is it's very important when it comes to even doing podcasts and stuff like that. She did an extremely well job at because uh, commentary in general, if I want to grade her just off the one that I saw, she she did a she did a great job. She was very consistent. She didn't really do anything that was like, oh, that was cool or she didn't do anything that really killed it for me. But she did one thing that stood out to me because she did it really well is she never let a second go by from when you were talking. When you stopped talking, there'd be dead air. The moment you stopped saying something, and it was, I, don't, I know she wasn't staring at you, yeah. but she was just really good on her timing. That the moment you finished your sentence, she picked right the fuck up, and there was yeah. no, there was like no dead air, and you were constantly hearing the energy. And she wasn't countering you in a matter of your energy, and then she came back at you with the same energy, which could work. She kind of contrasts you a little bit. She seemed a little bit more calm, a little bit more like in her delivery, yeah. but she didn't allow dead space. And that is not easy to do. The timing yeah. on that, she never really sounded like she was talking over. Actually, you cut her off. <laughs> <laughs> you cut her off at one point and you called it. You was like, you, you called it because there was some specific action going on in the ring. And then you gave it back to her and she took it and kept going again. Like, just the aspect of commentary, she mm -hmm. did really good in that manner where she never let there be any lull. She she just stood on top of it. She didn't change her energy. Her delivery was great. That, when it comes to commentary out of the ones that I saw, this one was the most entertaining for me because of how well she did as your counterpart on that table. Yeah, uh this this is one of the matches where she did very well on that. If you listen to the whole show, there were times where she fell off, um, and and that was uh, for the women's matches. And I'm not saying that 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 she's not good for the guys, but I feel like she's more up for the women because she knows them, like she's more invested. Like that's she, fine, and that's something hangs, over time she needs to get better with. Oh, but, but she's very very new, so she will get over it. She's gonna be real in five years. She's gonna be she's one of the new. Dopest. 
new, new. Like she just oh, started she's phenomenal. Like, then, like yes, no, she's gonna give her five years. She's gonna be one of the best in the entire industry. Hog just picked her up. She's phenomenal. How new are we talking? New, like, like two years, dude. Maybe two years, dude. Yeah. That's really good, man. Holy uh, right fuck. now, I her, think man. I'm the most consistent partner that she has now because we and we've only done three shows together so far. So I mean, she runs she she commentates for other companies, but you know she she picks up little bits and pieces here and there. She's gonna be dope. She's that's gonna really be good. really dope. Uh, I feel like she has more energy for the women, but that's just because she knows them. Once she starts getting more comfortable about more of the guys, she's got to control that fair. though. If there's one oh, thing sure. I can give an example to, and I know some people might go, oh, well, she's got to stand up for her women. Listen, shut up. I'm talking to her specifically. <laughs> you want to be great at what you do. You need to be you need to be the same across the board. I understand that you probably have it means more to you when the women matches are going on, if that's even the case, I'm guessing at this point. But if that is the case, you need to learn to hide that. Yeah. Because in order to be a great commentary and be believable everywhere, is you have to be even everywhere. Too many times there are um, there are women commentary who get mad hype for women matches, but get very dull during men matches, and that is going to take you nowhere in the long run. You need to be consistent. NXT announcer who is it? Natalia? Who is it's not Natalia. Beth Phoenix? Beth Phoenix, yeah. She does a really good job at that. If there's one thing I could point out with her, she seems to be very consistent across the board. She may not be the best at commentary, but if there is one thing I could point out that she does is her hypeness doesn't change based on who's in the ring. She tries to keep it the same across the board. So if she can learn yeah. to do that, because I, I did hear it in this match where she definitely seemed extremely hyped for yeah. this match specifically, but it doesn't really come across. It doesn't seem like it's something that would be consistent in her tone. Again, I, this is the only one I saw, so I'm guessing here. So I'm off base. Let me know. No, no. But, uh, uh, she she has high energy for a lot of matches, but that when you when you like for instance, if we call a match with Alexander Hammerstone or like a name name, she's up because she knows who they are. Right. So when we call matches where maybe it's a lower tier indie guy she may not have experience with or may not know she she backs off a little bit she doesn't really know how to navigate through that okay maybe that could so, just be her defense mechanism playing it safe so she doesn't fuck up and that's fine that might be it because i think she lets me roll with that after right the, after the as time. i do the same thing on here too so i'm not gonna give her shit for that because when there's a topic i don't know i sit the fuck back <laughs> i try not to say too much because i'm not trying to sound like an idiot either so i respect the game so this is something that I don't even know if she does, but I'm just pointing it out. If she could keep the same energy across the board, even though I know she probably loves the women, uh, maybe just a smidge more because it hits home, even if that's even the case. If she could stay consistent, this woman's going to be great because yeah, she, yeah, she's gonna be she called this match really, really well. And I, I like the way she 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 interacted with you because that's really important as a commentary. You get so caught up in how you're delivering shit that sometimes you don't realize that you're cutting the people off next to you or, or you don't realize what you're doing and it can make the match worse because of how you're doing it. And she did a, an awesome job on this one specifically. So, yeah, I feel bad sometimes because as a, as a play by play commentator, there are going to be moments where I'm supposed to cut her off. Right. And I just fine. feel like sometimes, um, and she handles it well, but when we first started working together, I was wondering how she would react to that. 
because mm-hmm. I prepped her beforehand, you know, because when she when we first met, I, I had known about her beforehand, but I'd never spoken to her until we worked together. Um, and she had asked me, you know, what's, what's kind of your thing? What, what what should I be looking out for, blah, blah. And we had our conversation or whatever. I told her, I said, if you're yammering and I see something going on, I'm going to cut you off. And she's like, all right. So that part where you said that I cut her off and then I gave it back to her, that was part of the – I told her, I said, if I take it from you, I'm not going to leave you hanging. I'm going to give it back to you, but you got to let me get my shit out. And she's right. like, yeah, yeah, no problem. And then, blah, blah, blah. And then we kind of felt it out. That match, that, that the Allison K. Hyan match, that was the first match of the night. That was the first match that me and her had ever called ever in our career. She did it excellently then. And that was, the, that was the way we started. So you could tell how the rest of the show went after that. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. That so was the first was, match? That was the first match. It was like you guys had chemistry. Well, I have chemistry with everybody. Because oh, right. here's the, because here's my style. Good this enough. is what I told her. <laughs> no, but, Fucking uh, dickhead. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Don't wonder why people don't like you, dude. I get it. <laughs> Fuck this guy. But listen, this is what I keep telling people. I said, listen, I've been doing this long enough, right? Uh, it, the play-by-play announcer is the leader at the table. He's the leader at the table. He's driving the car. Everybody else gets their shit in when they get their shit in. Okay? And I abide by this rule, by the way, when I'm a color commentator. When I'm a color commentator, I am looking for the play-by-play guy to lead me. When he doesn't, it's very frustrating. Because then the color commentator all of a sudden has to start doing play-by-play, and it doesn't sound right. Happened last night in the cage. They brought him in as a color, and the play-by-play guys kept stepping off which no you're the play-by-play guy we're the one who's supposed to be talking the most so i take that position very seriously so i try not to rant or ramble but i'm doing most of the talking and i'm going to squeeze you in when i squeeze you in over time as i got better with commentary i found more and more different ways and creative ways to get the opinions and comments of my commentator buddies right uh on the show so now i've gotten to a rhythm where i talk a whole lot less but when Sam came in, I knew she was very inexperienced. So I just told her from the gun, I'm running this. I'm going to throw it to you as often as possible. But if I feel like you, you're you not keeping up or it's just you're not giving anything of any real value or substance, meaning if you suck, I'm just going to keep cutting you off. Sorry. Because the broadcast that I'm on is important to me. This can't suck. Right, so if you even if you talk, if you're talking shitty, if you've got nothing really to input, if you're not making any real sense, I'm cutting you off. Mm-hmm. I was just really honest about it. She was cool with it, but as you she heard, took the pressure though. But she as, took the but, pressure. But as you heard, she didn't really do anything that crazy. So mm-hmm. I just kept I I fed the hot hand. I just kept going to her whenever I could, and it ended up working out really well. She's the she rest of the show went well too. Went well. She's smart. She understands what the, the job itself. She knows what her role is. So once we got the first few matches out, at intermission, she had asked me, hey, is there anything you're hearing, anything you're saying? I mean, anything that I'm saying that needs to be fixed or whatever? Like, am I doing all right? Like, she was just kind of in her head. And I said, look, you're doing great. You're doing fantastic. But here's the thing. You're, I told her this. The same thing I told you, I told her. You have more energy for the women than you do, than you do the men, right? And that's not a knock. Because at least you still have the energy. And you don't have bad energy for the guys. But it's noticeable. I can tell. Right? So if I can tell, then the people who are hearing it, they can tell. Whatever the case may be. I am going to now be interjecting you more with the guys. But here's how I'm going to do it. 
because she doesn't have a whole lot of information on the guys. That's her strong point. She does a lot of research before the matches so that she can talk a lot of good shit on the commentary. As you're supposed to. Right. But sometimes the information you get from wrestlers is no good because if they've done nothing, there's nothing to tell you. Right. So that's when she gets lost because she's like, well, I don't have anything to roll with. So it's my job to figure out how can I get her to talk with substance without any actual fact. So right. The way that I do it is I start asking her hypotheticals to get her to talk about what it is from her opinion and her side of things could happen or should happen. Now, she is a woman and she's a commentator. Not many of those around. So mm-hmm. I told her, I said, and the well, ones that are doing it are still, let's say they're still learning. Yeah. So I, asked, <laughs> I said, are you a sports fan? Yes. Are you a real wrestling fan? Yes. You know how this is supposed to look? Yes. Okay. So when I give you these hypotheticals, answer it like a sportscaster. Male or female, doesn't matter. I don't care what your answer is. Just answer it straight up. Because I wanted to see how she would handle that. So there was a couple of matches. I think, like, for instance, I set her up on purpose for this. There was a Smiley match that we did. Now, I know Smiley forwards and backwards. I I've, I've, I damn near created the Smiley gimmick with him. Damn near. I was, like, right there with him when he was going through with the creating it. But she doesn't know him. So started asking hypotheticals. Well, he was released from a psychic, psychiatric ward from Dr. Ernest Price. Do you think that mentality is going to work out for him? well for him here in this matchup? Or should he be more focused? Or did I just start asking questions? And she's just telling the stories. Well, I don't think it's going to work out for him here. The, his opponent here is a methodical. and blah, 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 blah. We're having a conversation. And that's right. what commentary to me is supposed to sound like. That we're not, we're not boxing announcers. We're here to tell a story. And if we don't have a story to tell, we fucking make it up. Right. And that's where she gave me credit as someone giving her advice because no one had told her that before. They didn't have anything to call. They just called what was in the ring and that was it. I said, then what happens with the story? Well, what story? They didn't give us a story. Oh, they didn't give you a story. Okay, well, if you're a storyteller and no one gives you a story, what do you do as a storyteller? Do you not tell a story anymore? No, you still got to tell a story, right? So you fucking make it up. Right. In you, the moment, your best, your you best know guess. How many bookers and promoters got their storylines from my commentary from alone? Commentary. Yeah. No, not even just you and Gerald. Yeah. I'm sure, sure, there's tons of people. It's like, yo, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, they something happened in the ring. I connected it, and the booker said, "Oh, we should keep that going because it made sense in the moment." That's what I told her. That was my that was my contribution to her. If they don't give you a storyline to tell, make it the fuck up. If the two people in the ring are fighting and they may never fight again, that's fine. This match is still important to the two of them because before they got here, they had won this match or they had lost this match. So now they're doing this to blah, 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 blah. tie it to something. Tether it. Otherwise, it's meaningless. It doesn't mean anything. It's two guys throwing fists at each other for no reason. It's a schoolyard fight. No one pays to see that. They got to have a reason to be in there fighting. Which takes me to the next match, match four. Global Syndicate wrestling again. This is also with Sam, but it's it's the three-man team again, Sam and uh, Paul. This was Austin Aries versus Gio Gonvano. This was story time told wonderfully because, again, Austin Aries and Gio Gonvano are telling a very basic teacher versus student story. The KG Wiley veteran who's out on his ass because the wrestling industry is considering his opinions as controversial as possible. But the young generation still see him physically as one of the best. 
So Gio wants to can wants to compete against the very best. Doesn't feel he can lead the next generation until he defeats the leader of generation next. That's my spin. They had a very similar spin, but they didn't they didn't fill it out the way that I filled it out. So that was leading up to this match. So when we got to this match and I told that bit to the commentating team I was with, they bought it. So when we had the actual match, that's the story. Even the MMA guy got away from the moves for a second so that we can tell the story. And it worked in this particular case. And it worked magically on commentary, and the match itself was awesome. That's why it's match number four. Because Austin Aries, despite his stance on things, is still one of the best in-ring performers on the fucking planet. You, you can say his opinions are what it is, and I got a chance to really get Austin, get to know Austin the next night when we did commentary all night together and basically hung out the entire show. I got to know more about the man himself, and I don't agree with a lot of shit he says. And I told him right. to his face, and, and, and we agree to disagree. But at the same time, he's still a contributing member to this business. Right. And it's not like he's out there, you know, messaging kids and sending dick pics to, to little girls. He's just taking a health stance. So I'm not going to fucking. You know, I disagree. I think you're being an idiot about this. But it's that's your shit to decide, I guess. Right. And that's it. So you take away all that other bullshit and just talk wrestling, and it's still fucking great. He's still great. Gio is going to be great down the line, and it just worked. So that so this was a very special match for me. So that's why I put it on here. There you go. Now we're in a top three. And three is going to be some name dropping, but not really. This one... I put on here because it was the very first main event I had ever called. And it stuck out because it contained one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. The franchise, Shane Douglas. Shane Douglas, the precious one Gilbert, one of Puerto Rico's biggest stars. And two students, Joey Tell and Talon, uh, against the SAT, which was at the time Joel and Will Maximo. And EYFBO again, Santana and Ortiz. Eight-man tag team match, first time I ever called a main event. Again, the authentic Brandon Lewis and I on the call. That was a magical night. Me and Brandon hugged each other. We were so proud of each other. Because we had spent so many years wanting to be in the business. Mm-hmm. And we used to come into, we used to hang out at my friend Etienne's house as a group of friends. And we would watch the TNA shows, and we'd watch it on mute. And the guys would literally sit back and just listen to me and Brandon call the show in the room while we were all drinking and smoking and having a good time. And everybody would bug out and just listen to us call the TV match. And here we were a few years later calling actual professional wrestling. The payout. Or, with pay. <laughs> no, no, the payout, though. This uh, yeah. is like and Shane all Douglas that leads is up this. to this. Yeah. And we were fucking marking out. It was like, oh my God, we are, we were going to call a Shane Douglas match right now with the SAT, who are our trainers at the time, but we also looked up to them for years, you know, and, and my friends are in there, Santana and Ortiz and Joe and Talon, and this was just a great night all together. It was just fun. It, we called it, it was the first time we ever called the main event live in the building as it happened, as mm-hmm. opposed to doing it in post in the computer somewhere else. So we got to feel the energy of the crowd, and it was just amazing. It was uh, I'll never forget that night for as long as I live. That's why it's 2021, and it's still in my top five. Mm-hmm. And if it hadn't been for special circumstances, it probably still would have been number one. But number two erased Which my is, feelings. Which I thought would be your number one, but uh, go ahead. AJ Styles. I remember, <laughs> I remember this day. I remember, like, 
even I was like, holy shit. Like, I remember this guy uh, watching this dude all of the time. And he's actually going to uh, like, even I was like, dude, he's calling this match. Yeah. Like, what? That's nuts. So before this match, I had gotten a chance to work with AJ Styles uh, as an interviewer. I had interviewed him, which is also on YouTube. And I had worked with AJ as a ring announcer. And I had told myself leading up to that, I'm not going to do the Jeremy Borash thing. Right, where I'm not gonna do the whole from Gainesville, Georgia. We're gonna 227 pounds. AJ Styles. Like everyone does it that way. So I was like, nope, I'm not gonna do it that way. And I prepped myself the whole day. I was going over it in my head how I'm gonna do it. And I get to the show and I'm going over it in my head. And then like right before the match, AJ goes, Hey man, uh, you're doing the announcing tonight, right? I was like, Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna be doing the ring announcing. He goes, Yeah. Uh, could you make sure that you set it up? Like, Jeremy with the whole AJ Styles. I was like, I guess. So I had done all that for no reason because I ended up doing it anyway on his request. So it was whatever. But this match was a match. I was calling an AJ Styles match with uh, AJ Styles versus Ricochet, which at the time was a dream match. Now it happens on Raw or SmackDown all the time. But at the time, they had never, they had never competed against each other. So this was a dream match from uh, a professional dream match for myself because I was like, oh, this is going to be dope. And once again, on the call with uh, Brandon on this one, AJ Styles versus Ricochet, dope match. And what made this match extra, extra special was that Ricochet was the House of Glory world's champion and he was defending that title. But AJ Styles was the IWGP heavyweight champion at the time. He was the champion of New Japan. And when he came to the show, he wore his belt to the ring. And I don't know how many people know this or not, but commentating tables are where all the belts go when the match starts. So in my hand, on this day, my hand touched... It was on. It was on me. I, did you did I, you awkwardly I, reach over just to touch it? I, no, awkwardly they handed it to me. It was oh. in my hands, and I couldn't help myself. I had to take this moment, and I took the strap off and I put it over my shoulder. So on my shoulder, the very the very belt that Tanahashi, Okada, and Chono, and the best in the history of New Japan all held the belt was now on AJ Orsini's shoulder live on tele uh, on 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 the internet's and uh and uh very mark out moment for myself especially since my favorite wrestler of all time is the one who handed it to me you know AJ Styles handed me the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship and that makes it number 2 on this list <laughs> that makes it number 2 and the only reason it was not number 1 is because number 1 satisfied a childhood dream AJ Styles and Ricochet was a professional dream match for me. Just the two styles, my favorite wrestlers, is is dope. Number one was a childhood dream. I have always, since I since I mean, I, as long as I can remember, always thought to myself because we we here in New York, we heard about Red before everybody else did, right? So we always looked at Red here in New York as like our own little Rey Mysterio because that's what he reminded us of when he started performing, when he was young, young, young kid in the early 90s. And we always looked at Red like, you know, he's like our little Rey Mysterio. So for years, when I got to know him and meet him and work with him, he always said that his dream match 
is against Rey Mysterio. He's never wrestled Rey Mysterio before. Always wanted to. And then, Lord and behold, <laughs> Brian Excel, who co-owns House of Glory, got a hold of one guy who got a hold of another guy who had Conan's phone number. And they said, hey, you know, if you, I think we were looking for Hoovy, actually. We were looking for Hooventude, which he eventually got. But in this moment, we had gotten Hooventude. And to get Hooventude, you had to go through his agent, which was Conan. And we called Conan. And Conan was like, you know, Hoovy's doing this, Hoovy's doing that. We can get him for your show if you want. He goes, I don't know if you guys are interested because it might be a little high on the price. But Ray's off of his contract. He can perform. Mm. And they were like, I'm sorry, what? So it's like, yeah, Ray's Ray's available. I I have Ray's paperwork. I can I can book him where I want. And he's headed to Mexico, but according to your date, I think he'd be available if you're interested. Because I know you guys got Red, and the whole room went quiet. And like, are you telling me we can get Ray and Red? It's like, I mean, yeah, you could if you're interested. So we're like, uh, yeah. What's the so, price tag? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm not privy to what the price tag was, and I don't really care. because No, I'm not asking you. I'm yeah, saying, like, in the moment, I'd be yeah. like, yeah, what's the price yeah, tag? Here's, here's, and then and then as he's speaking, I would have turned the phone away from my ears. Like, all right, everybody, empty your pockets right now. We got to see how much we got. <laughs> yeah. So we, we were just, yeah, everyone just put money on the table. That's and it. So Throw it all. When the Body, bottle was, caps and everything. Yeah, when the conversation was over and they left the room, all we heard was, we got Ray, and that was it. And you want to talk about, this is on this list, to be honest with you, because it's the first professional wrestling show that I've ever called or ever went to where I was nervous all day. All day. Clinched butt cheeks. Ooh. All day. Cigars. Uh, Brandon was nervous. I was nervous. The building was nervous. I'm not going to lie. The building was nervous. I think you're nervous. projecting. The, the, <laughs> the, <laughs> no, there were actual like talents. like Before fans came and everything like that, there was a sense. I don't know how to describe it. There was a feeling in the room. Now, mind you, this is the same company that brought in guys like Rob Van Dam, Ric Flair. Like, they've brought in stars before. But for whatever reason, there was something about Ray that was different. It was just different. Everyone in this room, everyone, there were people with nervous tics. Everybody who usually plays in the ring before we get started or gets ready for in the ring or whatever didn't really happen like that. People were just kind of like sitting. It was, it was a lot more quiet vibe. Mm-hmm. And then he walked into the room. He came through with his bag. He said hi to everybody. Everyone's saying hi to him. They gave him his own little area in the back in the locker room so he could chill and do his own thing. But he he didn't come in as Ray. Like he wore the mask, right? But he had like regular street clothes, and and he was just it was cool. Everybody was just everybody was just trying to you know with your friends and they go act natural, act natural, and everyone does everything that's not natural. <laughs> so he yeah. he was cool. He made everybody try to feel like so at ease and everything like that, and 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 he was cool. And then about halfway through the show, he disappeared. And I guess him and Ray were doing their thing or whatever. And when they came out of whatever room they were in, they were both in full gear. And seeing them together in full gear was just I was like, this is really gonna happen. And I'm like, so as a commentator, I always make a habit of talking to my talent to see what they want on the commentary. So it wasn't right. anything different I would normally do. But I'm like looking at Brandon, I was like, do you want to do this together? Or do you want to like, because we got to talk to them about the main event. And he was just like, I can't do it. <laughs> Brandon literally was like, I can't do it. So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll go. So I went and I spoke to him. And uh, it all, it they, they treated it like every other, you know, Every other show, every other match, Ray's talking to me, and he's just like, yeah, we're going to do 
<clears throat> we're going to do this spot here and this spot here so that when we do this, just make sure that you make it clear that this was the intent. And blah, blah. He's, I'm thinking in my head, I'm wondering if these are like, the, are these the same notes he would give a WWE guy? Like, I'm, I'm, just, I'm in my own head. So they, he's talking to me. I'm like, all right. And I made sure I hit every fucking bullet point. But even when the match started, like when you hear the music and everyone's making the entrances, like me and Brandon were like trying to make this sound like hyper. Like, I don't. I don't think any other, I don't know if any commentators could have made this moment feel as legitimate as it was for all of us. I know I'm putting it over like it was the main event of WrestleMania, but to us as a New Yorker and for everybody who was in that building from New York, right. who grew up watching these two performers always on opposite ends of the spectrum, for them to not only now be in the same building together, but now in the same ring was, and I can't oversell this enough, it was magical. It felt, it felt like WrestleMania to us when he came out and, uh, <clears throat> and did his whole deal with the and the taunt and the kiss and the puts his fingers up. Like it was for real. When the right. two of them were in different corners and the ring announcer was in the middle to do the introductions, the I'm not lying. People were on their feet, not even making noise. They were just quiet, waiting for the introductions, and they were on their feet. They threw streamers. It was for real. Like this was. I knew when this match was over that me and Brandon had just had the moment of our careers. Right. Like we were joking in the back. Like, if we got signed to WWE tomorrow, it wouldn't be as important to us as what just fucking happened. <laughs> it was huge for us. It was tremendous. So it, that's, cool. that's, that's why, like, that match. Ever since that match, the, you were just saying earlier about being an arrogant prank. My shit has never stunk since that match. Because... That's one of the most high-profile matches in New York City history. And my voice is on that with Brandon. That match will never happen again. That truly was a once-in-a-lifetime match. They said it that way, and it was for real. They never did it again. Even Red and Osprey, who now would be the Red and Mysterio of today, with Red being the veteran and Will being the younger guy, they've done it now like three or four times. This match has never happened again, and it with Ray's current condition, it probably never will. And my voice and Brandon's voice are the, is the one that's on it. So if I have done nothing with my career, if this podcast goes nowhere, my team goes nowhere, I will go to the grave knowing that my voice was on that. So that's pretty, yeah. So that's pretty cool. That's and dope. That's why every day after that, like my shit just doesn't sink. I, 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 I conduct myself with such confidence in the industry because I know that I, at this point I'm playing with house money. Because if, <laughs> if I don't get booked again and I'm not in the business anymore and I got I just get to be home with my family all the time, which is dope, I have, cool that, I have that video that I have the evidence. I called that match. Right. So, like, that's it. That's dope for me. There you go. So, yep, that's it. All said and done there. That's my top ten list. Now, mind you, that's not my top ten list of matches that I've been a part of in my career. That's commentating. Right. If I was to do overall, this list would be different. The number one and number two and number three match would still be the same, but I'd be moving some of those other pieces around and there'd be more matches in there. There's a lot of matches that I've been a part of that have been just absolutely fantastic. I've never used this word before, but I'll use it here. My career has been blessed. Mm. I've done a lot of cool things. I, I ain't even get a chance to put the Evolve matches on here that I did. Or like when I went to Texas and did the stuff down there. Or like when I went to New Hampshire and did the stuff up there which were all good times and good matches and worked with so many other names that I didn't even drop. The Briscoes, Abyss, 
you know, you just keep moving down the line of all these different WWE superstars. Goldust, even uh, working with all the young bucks. <laughs> uh, there's so many people, Kevin Steen or Kevin Owens or whatever, that I've gotten the chance to work with. Or Adam Cole that I've worked with over the years that uh, that were really cool. Paul London. Uh, no, I'm going to stop now. So that's, the point is, <laughs> I've done a lot in these 10 or 11 years. So I plan on doing a whole lot more. But it was good. It was fun to sit back and actually think about all these different little cool little moments I've had in my career. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool. So next week, uh, Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. we shall be thankful. Yeah. Uh, even though apparently I was just thankful for the last 30 minutes. But I'm going to be more thankful uh, next week. We're going to try to do this together, correct? Is that what we're trying to do? We're going to find a spot somewhere. We'll do our best. We'll make it happen, Captain. We gotta keep we gotta keep our wives distracted with something. Yeah, that's the hard part. <laughs> so we just gotta keep know. them. We just gotta we'll keep figure them distracted it out for a while. That's all. We'll put a ball in the middle of the room or something and just have them go nuts. Yeah, and then there we go. So all right, so uh, we're all done here with two the two, I was gonna say two thousand. Imagine two episode two eleven here in the books. We're inching ever so closer to Thanksgiving next week. <clears throat> Our next live event for streaming purposes, we will be live yet again for our annual Xmas as fuck episode. Christmas season will be uh, is coming up real close, and we're going to be live for Christmas. I cannot do a Christmas episode and not have it live. And I can't do a Christmas episode and not have it be with the main man himself. Joe Pombo has to be a part of the Christmas episode. He is like, he is my diehard for Christmas. He is my Christmas tradition. We have (laughs) to include Pombo in any Christmas related events that we have always and forever. Will he be my pudgy little Oriental Santa Claus? There you go. And uh, my 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 cuddly teddy bear. He needs to be back on the show, and I will invite him for Christmas. He doesn't even know I'm going to invite him, but as soon as I say it, I know he's in. Oh, he knows. Yeah, he, he knows. knows. He sees it. He comedy. feels it in his bones. He feels it in his bones. Mm-hmm. Alrighty. So, uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for sharing. And of course, thank you guys for enjoying episode two hundred and eleven. Man, we're really we're climbing. We're climbing. This is my daddy's 200th episode. If you like to soap, boys, mints, t-shirts, mugs, tank tops, beats, towels, phone cases, go to H-A-O-U-N.com. This is my daddy's 200th episode. This still keeps him busy, and he's not playing with me, so stop listening. Well, but he's actually going to me, so I won't fight. <laughs>